All right, welcome to my elite crew of demystifiers. If you guys are here, then you know how much fun this series is. And anybody that misses out, uh, too bad for them. I feel like there's really nothing like it on the internet. And I see we've got Slick Dissident. He's at a different battle station, Zebra Free, but I also think the signal is going to be really clear. So even more excited about it. What's up, dude? See you, buddy. Yeah, signal's looking good. This is going to be gravy, gravy, gravy. Uh, a lot of uh, sacred numerology in the dates. And uh, yeah, we're going to get to see another side of some of these characters. And uh, uh, yeah, things are taking a little different flavor now. And it's kind of neat. The the patterning is uh, on a, a bigger scale of magnitude uh, and significance. So let's party. Let's party. Okay, so speaking of sacred numbers, I, as you guys have been following, you know, I like to peg two cards of the Major Arcana to each episode. It seems to really work out for me. And this time around, I first thought it was going to be the Hierophant because they were searching for this guy who's like, you know, the Pope of their TVA and all that. But I was wrong. It's the sun. <laughs> He's the sun in this episode, uh, Seven Ways from Sunday. And I got the documents, I got the gematria, I got all the evidence within the episode itself to prove that. And we're also going to be looking at the star card, which is cool because, you know, a lot of this is about the formation of the world, a.k.a. the formation of the TVA in this episode. And on the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, there are these paths between the different spheres or sephirot. And in the previous episode where we were introduced to the original version of Kang, or he who remains the guy played by Jonathan majors. We had this interesting thing going on with the, uh, the devil card. And what was the other card for that episode? I don't remember, but the pathways were leading to the, uh, Yassad sphere, right? Which is foundation and the generative organs and the generative power. And there's more than one way to reach Yassad. And in this episode, we're coming at it from the sun card and the star card, which are also pointing to that place. So we're like, we're kind of in a full circle thing going on here. It's like the uh, we were at the end of the Ouroboros, and now we're at the beginning of the Ouroboros. And <laughs> this is the episode where we meet, you know, the younger, new, shiny version of that character. So it all fits really well. And where we left off last episode for everybody that uh, was here or wasn't here, we covered episode two, and that one concluded with see how did that one conclude oh yeah the uh the renegade tva agents going and pruning all the timelines aka doing population reduction population control to save the world to tikan olam <laughs> so that was like a sort of bummer downer that it's left out on and we're kicking off this episode with a a very different feeling it's like it's much more hmm, you know it's much more fun whimsical hopeful all things that represent the spring equinox time that this episode esoterically is talking about. So I guess I'll pull up the slides. Oh my gosh. The sacred number stuff in this one, Gabe, I just can't wait to get some of your reactions, especially in, in real time with good connection speed. Okay. So, all right, good. We got this up looking good. You want some commentary here? Uh, well, definitely the 93 stands out right away. Uh, it's the agape, and it's uh, also will and love in, in Greek have a, uh, 
isopsological value of 93. Uh, it's a big thing to the thelemic order. Uh, and that's the, you know, one of the foundations of the particular deck that we go through. Uh, but it was a sacred number before those orders came into play. You know what I mean? Those guys are latecomers to what 93 is really all about. But it, yeah, will and love. Uh, so a uh, fortune card comes to mind when we say will uh, and love, springtime. Uh, absolutely. What you thinking? Well, I can't help but notice. Um, well, well, you know what? The 1893 being the title of the episode. The first thing I did was start to combine the numbers, add them, multiply them. And I don't recall what it is added up. I found multiplication to be much more interesting. Let's see, 8 plus 9 plus 3, that's 20. That's C20. But 8 times 9 times 3 oh, in gosh. multiplication gives us 216. Two, 216 is Gabe's favorite number, I'm pretty sure. And it is a... Uh, it's the value, 216 is the value of 6 times 6 times 6. And 6 times 6 times 6 is also giving us the magic square of the sun. And like I said, the sun card is in this episode. Because this magic square of the sun is a square of 6 rows by 6 columns. So 6 by 6. And each row in each column adds up to 666. Six, six. Now, once you realize that the number of the beast or whatever is not talking about like the devil incarnate per se, other than, you know, that the sun is the devil in winter time when it kills off all the vegetation. It's actually a mystical number. That's like, you know, it's about the formation of life. It's the, the cube of carbon. It's, there's nothing really evil about it. Uh, there's a lot of numbers though, in Hebrew gematria, that can get us to two sixteen, and we'll be bringing up a bunch of them as we go. Uh, including, <laughs> including yes. this, this book I got from PK. Thank you, PK. That has all this Hebrew gematria that kind of got me on the right track. And then, you know, I've found more, more sources for that since then, but it, it lists out like numbers equivalent to different demons of Goetia. And I've brought them up before. And there's one, get this, there's one that equals two sixteen in its name. And its name is or Orobas. So it's basically Oroboros, but without the boar. Orobas. Or Araob. Oh. Demon number 55 of Goetia. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's number 55 is kind of interesting too, because like five times we'll five is 25. Out. And there's tons of 25, 205 stuff in here too, which I'll explain as we go. But he's holding up the, uh, hold, what card was that? You're holding up a card. I just made you big. That was a card of change. Yep. And it's the Ouroboros. Um, and also the Analima. Uh, 216 is a heavy hitter on the Analima uh, because it's actually on uh, the X. We crossed the downfall of the X on 827. And I'm pretty sure 8 times 27 gives you 216. Uh, so uh, it is encoded into the natural cycles a thousand different ways. Yeah, nice. But then uh, isn't the uh, other Obama's side of the birthday. analemma, isn't the uh, the spring side of the crossing of the analemma uh, tax day? Boom, sun card. Totally. 
And if I'm not mistaken, it's yeah. what in like full reduction is it that T is two and A is one and X is six, right? I learned this from you. Bada boom, bada You got it, buddy. You got it. And this is uh, this is Passover. Also, this is the initiation of Passover. So the X of the of the Analima is significant for many reasons, be, but particularly because the next cycle where the X is crossed is the holiday of Vulcanalia, also Vulturnalia. These holidays of uh, they should be holidays of consumption uh, because it's the uh, coming through August and it's time to get uh, it's like a competition to eat and uh, put things into storage for the fall. So, yeah, it's uh, it's so synchronous. Yeah. Uh, and one more thing. It just dawned on me. I, I always forget. I have so many things to remember. Ninety three simply. Times two. Uh, so that's a it's a thelemic hello or greeting. So you'll walk up and you'll be like, yo, 93. And the other person will be like, 93. And it's like a handshake from afar. Well, you add them together and you get the lunar standstill cycle, 186186. And so <laughs> yeah, dude, that is a good book for a Jim Carrey uh experience, I bet. So yeah, two uh uh, 18.6 is the lunar standstill cycle. So two thelemites saying hello is encoding an eclipse, which is also encoding theater masks. Uh, a smiley cycle is a, a downward arch of an eclipse, and the smiley face is an upward cycle of an eclipse path. So the theater masks are also intrinsic to this uh, this encode. Awesome. Yeah, comedy and tragedy. The winter solstice and the spring equinox which is hugely relevant in this episode the uh sacrificial victim and the scapegoat those two those two goats the ram and the cap the aries and the capricorn so let's get into talking a little bit about the uh these cards themselves so first of all the sun card amazing here so we have the letter on the sun card is the hebrew letter resh and Resh equals 200. The sun card is card number 19. And so if you get that 200 and you just drop the zeros and uh, the 19 of the sun card, you get 219, which is today's date. <laughs> Coincidentally, today is 219. Thought that was kind of funny. Uh, you know, as someone who hasn't done a lot of studying of the imagery iconography on the Thoth Tarot, I, this is one that I haven't looked at much. And uh, I'm amazed by it, really. There's so much going on with this. You have the butterfly wings on these these solar twins. Yeah, man. It's, uh, this is C three. Sorry, I was going to say this. This is C three PO. C three PO's abdomen is open in this exact shape. The gap in C three PO's abdomen, and R two D two is the moon card. You just flip the moon card upside down, and it's clearly R two D two. And so they've, they know the mechanics of the heavens. They have mastery of the mechanics of the heavens, hmm. but they've also funneled admiration into the machines. And so the uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are one of the original, like, oh, we're going to have a civil rights movement for robots. Uh, yeah, they, they started that one a long time ago. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I also find it interesting that the Zodiac in the sun card for the Thoth Tarot has got rather than Capricorn, 
being on bottom and cancer being on top, the keystone being cancer, as it's depicted in masonry or any astrology chart that puts Aries on the east horizon, they've reversed it here and Capricorn's on top. So I don't know if that's an inversion or if it's meant to be a clue to something. Very strange. Uh, and I think it's all perspective. Does the year begin when the sun dies or does the year uh, or is the top of the year when the sun is at its height? These are questions that it's kind of like a chicken or an egg type of question. It's a paradox. A circle doesn't have a beginning or an end. So it's all it's one of those examples of how life changes based on how you decide to look at it. <laughs> but I'm most interested here. You know, the decodes I've been doing for this show, they get heavier and heavier into gematria as my skill at comprehending the Hebrew letters and alphabet and uh, gematria gets me to deeper and deeper levels of interconnection. (laughs) And I'm totally I'm totally seeing a lot of crazy stuff in this one that relates to the resh. So first of all, resh means it's a letter, but as a word, it means the head. It's. Per, it could mean first, the highest, or wisdom, or father, or leader, or rabbi, things like this. And it actually, you get a lot out of putting words forwards and backwards because, you know, Hebrew is read from right to left instead of left to right. So if you put resh backwards, you get sar, which is a word that means a master, a prince, a chief, noble, ruler, general, etc. Like czar, C-Z-A-R, C-Sar. <laughs> Uh, or T-Z-A-R, or calling somebody sir, all of that is there. So forwards and backwards, this word basically means the same thing. Now, if you spell out Resh, it's spelled Resh Yad Shin. Oh, Gabe wants to jump in, all right? Yes, uh, before, I don't want to miss that sir, the extra, that honorific. This is card number 19. Card number 19 signifies both senior and junior s r is a one nine j r is a one nine so the honorific of senior and junior is a hat is a head that you wear it's a signifying mantle that you put on the front to say hey i'm mr extra special guy uh and i'm related to my dad senior over here and then before i forget this is going to be rfk junior this is also at the end of uh, 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 Biden. J. O. Biden also has a junior on the end of his name. So up on my arch up here, I had Biden in the top, and the next step over has a J.R. signifier. That's going to be a torch from Biden to uh, the Kennedy, the, one, the wannabe Kennedy, who's, uh, who's going to be significant in the show going forward. We'll mention it when it comes up. You know, I's and J's are interchangeable in a lot of languages like Latin. So S-I-R, Sir, and then S-J-R, Senior and Junior. I see what you're saying there. So back to the gematria of the word resh, when you spell it out, it's R uh, or resh, yod, shin, basically. And really, there's there's no reason that resh in Hebrew as a word should be spelled with a yod in the middle because the vowels are kind of implied. Except for the mystical reasons that would require the word to equal 510, because that's what those letters equal. And that 510 gives you a reduction to six, which is important because we're talking about the magic square of the sun. It's six by six. Six is the six is sex. It's the generative power. 
There is nothing more exemplary of the generative power than the sun, obviously. And then <laughs> with the resh having a meaning of first or commencement or the beginning, there's a particularly good example in Genesis chap- chapter 1, verse 1, very first line of the Bible. And the first word in Hebrew is tran- is barashit, which has got the resh in it, bar-resh-it. And that's erroneously or deceptively translated to mean in the beginning. But it actually means something more like, first, by wisdom, God created the heavens and the earth. Not in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> and it's not even God, it's Elohim. It's like female goddesses. <laughs> like that's a feminine termination, alaim. So Bereshit, alaim, like totally different than in the beginning, God created But this episode is like an in the beginning moment because the events of the first scene are what commence the entire cycle of the story, the creation of the TVA. It's like an Ouroboros type time loop going on, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, buddy. Oh, I got, I got a little side gravy. Can I side gravy? Yeah. The, The 51st element. 51st element is antimony. 5-1. 51st element is antimony. It's right after 10. 10 is number 50. The one right after 10 is antimony, and its signifier is S and B. This is likely the Masonic tracing board with strength and beauty, and antimony is used in makeup. The facade, the mask, the mascara, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Uh, And then one more thing, these dancing babies, I happen to know this is a naval ritual that the sailors do uh, when uh, a newbie has crossed the equator line for the first time. And this dance that the two children are doing, the sailors actually put themselves in uh, slave stocks. You know, like the old where your hands are locked in a board and you're uh, locked in with another sailor. He's your cohort. And you guys have to go up on the deck and they throw things at you and spray you with water. And you got to say the magic words to get initiated. So this is crossing the line. And so the rush, resh, crushing the line. And look at the baby. He's crossing. He's like going past that uh, dividing line of the wall in the old right away deck. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that, that they're crossing the equator. But if we're kind of playing with Earth shape, isn't it interesting that there's a ring at the top of this mountain that Jack and Jill here are kind of crossing a different shaped line? Well, that's the uh, world I thought serpent. some of the flat earthers might get a buzz on that. That's like the world serpent totally. around Yggdrasil. To- yeah, 100%. Plus end. Yep. <laughs> uh, Dylan made a really good point here regarding the fact that the sun is exalted in Leo or rules the sign of Leo, the lion. And with the RL swap, Resh, which is also Ross, like if you were an Etruscan slash Phoenician sailor going around the world, spreading the system to different places, they called themselves the Rasena. The swap that Ross to an L and you get lease, which is the Phoenician word for lion. So <laughs> that's a good one. I didn't think about that, but it's totally there. Now, and then the other card that is significant is the star card. The star card is the Aquarius card. So it has a lot to do with power. The letter on it being hey, hey is equal to five. 
but there are some variant spellings like you could get hey Aleph or hey hey or hey yod so it could be 5 10 15 there's probably other ways to spell it too and i thought it was interesting to play a little bit with variants because this show is all about variants uh, but hey as a letter it, it's sort of like exactly like we would say now hey you know check it out hey look at this hey let me grab your attention it's a power word it can mean lo behold the mercy reveal window thread fence there could be even more actually it's a super crunchy word lots going on with hey but it ultimately represents god's creative power and that makes sense because this episode is all about power electricity natural forces that form the cosmos and that's really also going back to the six of things the six is all about that too the the formative powers of the cosmos electromagnetism things like that because hey is an exhalation like especially if you're hebrew that's how you would say it in uh, psalm 33 6 it is said by the word of the lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. According to the Talmud, that line is referring to the breath of the mouth is referring to the sound of the letter hey, which is the outbreath of spirit. So with resh and hey, we're talking about respiration. We're back to this idea of the divine wind, the aura, the pneuma, the first, that first vibration of the waters of chaos to create the heavens and earth. And like we very specifically get that in this episode, <laughs> vibrating to bring order out of chaos. It's all there. And so with electricity as a concept, that's very Aquarian. You know, the age of Aquarius, it's the age of technology. It's the the Internet, the interconnectivity of everything it has to do with that. You know, Aquarius is the water bearer, but it's actually an air sign because it's about the circulation of elements and how even the air is responsible for the circulation of the water. Right. And the air is what is circulated around in your body by the bloodstream. So there's a there's so much, so much amazing mysticism with the star and, and the hay and the rash. Uh, Gabe, you got anything on this before we get into the episode proper? Yes, uh, this card is really activated for me very recently uh, in a major way, a very major way. Uh, I've made an adjustment on the Slick Dissident Enneagram regarding this card in particular. This card is kind of like a linchpin that has kind of turned turned the shape of things upside down, literally. Uh, I've put her into a back handspring position. She's now balanced in the ninth spot because Pluto has gone into Aquarius for the long haul. And so she is now doing what is called the makaku. This is a capoeira backflip. And she's going to stay poised in that position uh, for 30, 20 or 30 years. But she signifies the move. It's called the uh, uh, estobrado. It's a broken S. And that's how you get into that position that she's doing. And that is the shape of the Eridanus River. And the Eridanus River goes backwards against time. It actually flows ever so slightly against the flow of time. And it has the winding dance. Uh, so the winding, the dancer, um, Terpsichore, the muse, Terpsichore was the number eight muse. 
Um, but also that shadow of the number eight, because it's card number 17, one plus seven gives you the eight, that has the shadow of lust, domineering, or control. And so I'm putting her in the epitome of an expression of control in a one-handed back handspring paused for 20 years. So that's where I am psychically with that card. And uh, it, it has to do with the leap year. This is the election cycle. And so because of the leap year, I'm making a, a votive offering. I'm, I'm offering up a Capoeira maneuver uh, to impress the muse Terpsichore. And we'll see how long I can hold that pose. Uh, see, see how she digs it. I'm pretty sure the muses, all of them are impressed with you, buddy. <laughs> I don't know anybody that has such a direct line to them as you do. Psychically, for sure. That's awesome. So I'm going to bring us into the uh, actual slides that depict scenes from the episode. And we open on this weather vane. Man, there could not be a more significant and powerful image for sort of symbolizing everything in this episode. The first camera shot. We open on this weather vane. First of all, you can see based on the directions there, there that there's a wind blowing and it's the west wind. That's called Zephyr or Zephyrus. And that's the wind that represents springtime. This is likely because when a west wind blows, it points a weather vane's arrow to the east. That's what I think, which is where the sun rises. So that's the beginning or birth of the day in the microcosm. And spring is the birth of the year in the macrocosm. So this firmly right away establishes us in the idea of the beginning of a cycle. Macrocosm and microcosm. Now notice that the horse uh, is in the sun card. The child is sitting up on the horse. There's a horse on the weather vane. And also, both of these settings for the episode are in the 19th century, the two places that we visit in this episode, sun card being 19. And overall, it makes sense with the star card and the letter Hey to invoke the wind spirits, the anim enemy or <laughs> animoi at the beginning of the episode because Hey is an aspiration, like, the Holy Spirit, the Heli Gust, which even shows up as a character in this episode, Miss Minutes. She's totally the Holy Ghost. The uh, the Anima, the Numa, the Breath of Life, and you see the uh, the butterfly wings on the children of the Thoth version of the Sun card. They show up on old paintings of Zephyrus, the West Wind, but also Psyche and Cupid. Now here is a great example for us to see how. A, a single deity or an idea of a, a singular God that is three uh, gets conflated and broken down into a bazillion different gods and goddesses by either intentional deception by the priests or misunderstanding by academics. But so, okay. If you looked at this painting of Zephyrus and his Chloris is her name or yeah, Chloris, that's her name, the goddess of flowers. The that's the they're the consorts for each other. If you look at that, though, you wouldn't be able unless you just knew the label of the painting. You wouldn't know any difference between that and Psyche and Cupid or Cupid is Eros also. So considering that the East Wind is actually called Yoros, the exact same name as Eros, but just with an extra U added in. Well, Yoros was called the savior of Sparta, the East Wind. Same exact name of Eros. Eros is Cupid. You see how Psyche and Cupid are the exact same as Zephyrus and his consort Chloris, who was a goddess of flowers, thus springtime. It's really not all that complicated when you 
You know, when you realize these gods and goddesses and mythological characters are the same, despite their variations in names, the symbols reveal the truth. They're all really the same thing. Uh, just it may be different points in a cycle, but they're not actually separate entities. I don't think they're ever really worshipped as such. Now, you also see here I put in the Phoenician letter Resh, which, oh, you go ahead. I was going to say, that sounds like a, uh, that sounds like an insult to a uh, militant uh, mentality. Like the Spartans are like badasses and to say, oh yeah, this little, this little light naked child saved your whole culture. That's like really putting salt on a wound, I think. Uh, and also another thing about Spartan, it's, is they were more spear oriented, like hands-on style. And archery was kind of, at one point, was considered for uh, cowards. And so to say that an archer or saved Sparta might be saying, like, we conquered you, and now we're going to uh, insult your memory by saying this little cherub is how we did it. Because, yeah, because uh, Achilles dies from an arrow, and he's a spear, a master of the spear. So, yeah, I think there's a jab in there. <laughs> okay, so... Spear actually comes up later in a good way. Uh, but I, I put in here the Phoenician letter Resh, which is like a mirrored version of the Greek row, which is their letter R. And you see how it looks like a flag? That's perfect because the symbol of the wind and, and of wind representing God, that comes up in a lot of different areas, particularly the word netter. <laughs> Take it or leave it. I have a lot of problems with hieroglyphics and how they're translated and the, and you know, the alleged antiquity of them, but the hieroglyphic that means net netter or nature or a God like lowercase G is a flag. So the wind that's because the wind is the first cause. It's the invisible primary substance or action. God as the wind moves upon the face of the waters, but the word in Genesis is really more like he vibrates the waters. And of course, wind and mind are the same word philologically. If you do that WM swap and the words for soul, the soul, like our, our soul, it's anima, animus, pneuma, spirit. All of those words also mean wind and the sun is called soul. And the last thing about this establishing shot, when I was doing some looking into Chicago, I'm pretty sure this part of Chicago is called Wolf Point, which is fascinating because we ended the previous episode, which was all about Brad Wolf. So we're beginning where we ended in that sense. It's pretty cool. But then the camera pans down from this sky in this weather vane. And you see the first person we see when the camera pans down is where the horse <laughs> Again, the horse, just in case we didn't notice the horse on the weather vane. That's, this is the beginning of the Kabbalah, the transmission of wisdom. Kabbalos, let's say horse. Symbols for the Kabbalah, the secret of the alphabets and letters are the horse and the ship. Because these things transport information or goods from one place to another, just like language and writing. Or, yeah, transport wisdom from one person in time to another person at another time. And then we immediately see a child and a dog. <laughs> so there's some symbol of the sun child as the fool embarking on a journey saying, come on, come on. Well, on is the name of the sun. <laughs> so we're at the beginning of a cycle or a journey here. 
like the fool who is with the dog. And we're still in the same camera shot. It goes down and around the corner and zooms in onto the ground where we see shoes stepping into a pool of mud. (laughs) Shoes. Okay, why shoes? First of all, shoes are, they equal to the word in Hebrew for a shoe or a sandal (laughs) equals 200 like the resh. So that's great. They're a symbol of the motive power, the power to move, just like the wind. They represent the power of movement. So as we see the shoes stepping into the mud, we're seeing the power of movement and life being put into the mud. So we started with the wind and the weather vane. That's allegorical to the breath of life entering the vessel of dust or earth, Adam, in the beginning, in Genesis. Also, the person she is here to see is the solar child. He's an incarnation of Adam. Adam is a name referring to earth or mud. He's also, Adam is (laughs) the child of sky and earth because he is created out of the dust with the wind or the sky father blowing the breath into him, right? Into his nostrils. This shot clearly establishes that we started with the sky, the father, Oranos, up there with the weather vane, and then the camera descends all the way down to the earth for a close-up of the shoe stepping in the mud. The, uh, the fact that it is mud is even more symbolic for the generative powers of the sun because water, mud is water with earth, and water is related to the sun's generative powers because the sun can't create life without water. But water can't be fluid without the sun, otherwise it would be solid ice. So this is... The opening is establishing this shot with the heavens and earth of Genesis 1-1 in the beginning by wisdom, Barashit, the rest of the sun card. <laughs> and we're talking about Kronos here, of course, because it's he who remains. It's Kang. He's the time, you know, he's the master of time. Well, Kronos' parents are Oranos, sky, and Gaia, earth. There you go. And we even got a hay in here with the a five, with the rim of this wheel being visible. Because we're just doubling the the symbolism of the motive power and the breath of life (laughs) with the shoe and the wheel and the mud and the sky. So like just boom, that very first camera shot up, up top and then panning down. It tells you everything about what's really like encoded in this episode. It's the birth of Kronos or Adam. I got a nice uh, a visual pun. They're setting the mood. They're setting the mood. <laughs> it's a good one. So it's yeah, it's going to be a, a dirty. They're get, yeah, they're going to get dirty on this one for sure. Down and dirty. Oh, oh wait, wait. So, you know what? Well, I forgot. I missed it. Oh, we. I, I'm so glad. I'm glad we caught this. Hold on. Mud flood. They're going to be pulling the mud flood card. Oh, yeah. uh, with uh, changing history, alternative history in mud flood is going to be part of the the backdrop of this one. Let's put that on the table now. Oh, that's such a good call. I totally forgot about that because the uh, the World's Fairs allegedly are like a cover up of the mud flood and the Great Chicago Fire. Speaking of the Great Chicago Fire, we get panned up and we see it's Renslayer. Okay. And she's in 1868 Chicago. Well, let's just do some number magic. We have one times eight times six times eight is 384. What do you know? Uh, There's not that many words that equal 384 in Hebrew gematria, but one of them is scorch or blast. Like the great Chicago fire. 
And in Greek gematria, the spelling of the city of Gomorrah equals 384. So it's the burning of Gomorrah, you know, God blasting it, right? Blowing it up. And then the other, it's more of like two words or a phrase, but hey, it's she's here to find her Messiah, her Lord, Victor Timely. 384 is the value of the phrase Yahweh Messiah, the God Savior or Savior God. So we have where the Great Chicago Fire is three years from this date. It's in 1871. But I find it fascinating that they pick this specific year, 1868. There's a lot of reasons for it. One of them, maybe, I don't know. It's like when I say they picked it, I'm like, who's they though? Was it the, was it an AI that knows how to weave all the symbols together in perfect harmony? Is it some spiritual forces that are influencing the creative process? Is it occultists that actually do all this on purpose? The last one seems the least likely to me. Oh man, thank you for the support, Kyle. That is a really generous super chat. I appreciate it. I put in so much work on this one. I mean, I always do. These things take a lot though. Thank you, man. That's a really generous super chat. Love you, Kyle. Uh, don't forget tippicanewherbs.com for all the medicinal products that are non-toxic and highly effective using interverse coupon code for 10% off. Always linked in the show notes. Don't forget about that. It's uh, got something for everybody for everything. So yeah. I think they I think that the reason why it's 1868 is right before the Chicago fire. But instead of it being on the year of the Chicago fire, they got the year that has this gematria encoding that refers to the the scorching and the blasting of Gomorrah, the wicked city. That is amazing. I'm more impressed, though, by the God Messiah part of this and how 384 fits in with 216, which we'll get to. It is just wild stuff. Now. So uh, ahead, something that I want, uh, I want to throw on the on the scorch and the blast. Uh, some of the weaves that Kyle brought over to the Slick Dissident channel uh, very recently. If you haven't seen it, come check us out. We went for a couple hours and it was awesome. I watched that. I was. Uh, it turns out uh, he has extracted. Nice. Yeah, I saw you in there. That was a good time. You're next. <laughs> um, we uh, some of the cycles for the cicadas actually uh, harmonize to the Napoleonic reset. And uh, uh, 1803 is uh, when the last time this cicada song was sparked off, 221 years ago. And so uh, he brought up quite a few awesome historical events. Like uh, they found Rodinium and I think Palladium, which is named after Athena, Number one personality type, sun card, uh, and uh, fortune card. So those uh, elements were discovered that year. Um, the Electoral College was put into place. Um, uh, 12th Amendment came. Oh, and the Louisiana Purchase was on the, was on the table, not on the year we're talking about, but with the cicadas. So uh, these historical echoes, they will come into the Loki series on the, on the timeline. So I just wanted to kind of, because uh, Kyle was on there and we're talking about uh, resets, mud floods, and uh, uh, historical uh, fallouts that the TVA would be interested in. So yeah, those are some of the things to just throw on the table from Kyle and my weaving. Hmm. I'm still wrapping my head around all the cicada, really crunchy cicada stuff. When I was in college, they 
there is an ice cream shop, a local ice cream shop at the college town where I went to school. And when the cicadas came out, they had, it was just seasonal. They had cicada ice cream. <laughs> That's the look on your face. <laughs> I never tried it, but like people would go eat it. I, I don't know why. I think it was called Sparky's was the name of the ice cream place. Seems bizarre. <laughs> so get him. Sounds like Klaus Schwab was prepping people. <laughs> that was like way before you will eat the bugs. It was uh, some maybe some sort of a pilot program. Yeah. So Renslayer, we see Renslayer. She's getting hailed by Miss Minutes from the barn there. Miss Minutes is the little cartoon artificial intelligence clock that has access to the entire universe in all times and places. She's basically like the Holy Spirit in that sense. She's everywhere and nowhere. And back to the metaphor of the Alaim or Elohim, the female goddesses, because that's what that means. It means goddesses, plural. <laughs> it translated into English as Lord and God, but it's a totally different word in Hebrew. Uh, these, these two are like the goddesses who create the world or create uh, Adam, in a sense, because that's what they're here to do. They're here to initiate Adam into existence or Kronos. Uh, so Kronos, I mean, there's so many reasons to know Adam and Kronos are the same guy. Like one of the words they use for God in the old Testament is Adonai, which is Adonis. Adonis is just Adam with a different termination. It's the same word. Anyway. So Miss Minutes is like the Holy spirit. She's everywhere and nowhere. And it is also interesting what they do with the names. And uh, in this show, uh, especially when you just look at the first letters, of full names like Miss Minutes MM or Mobius M Mobius. So when we're looking at this MM, the, the we got to think about the letter MM, which is water and memory. If you, there's a way to spell a variant, a variant way of spelling MEM, where you spell out the words for the letters that create the word MEM. So instead of just being Mem, Yod, Mem to spell Mem. It's you spell the first letter, the second letter, and the third letter. So you get Mem, Yod, Mem, Yod, Vav, Dalet, Mem, Yod, Mem. They call this Mem in plentitude. It's like the expanded out version. And what do you know? It equals 200, like the letter Resh. So there's another mystical link between the power of the sun and it's, you know, the, the sun is the, the more like ethereal non-physical power. And then water is its physical agent that like the sun cannot create life without water, but water can't be water without the sun. Very important in mysticism. That's why you have so much relation to the water and the sea and the rivers with various gods and goddesses like Bacchus meaning stream. Um, so we can also clearly assert that both Miss Minutes and Mobius are associated with Mem Ori because the, Mobius is defined by his loss of memory of who he used to be. And Miss Minutes has the memory of the entire cycle of the TVA from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. So there's <laughs> there also may be something that was once understood or is being said to us through this gematria in terms of the sun being a type of recorder of memory or like a memory keeper. We form memories of what we see. And we remember things with like pictures in our mind and, and what we have seen is what we expect to see again. 
Perhaps the sun is like a big eye in the sky or is mystically considered such <laughs> as the sun has seen. Think about that sun seen as to the end. It has seen everything that was. So the sun knows everything that will be. There's nothing new under the sun. That old chestnut. You know, I'm thinking that we're being instructed to remember this moment because the context of it uh, will fill in later. And it's just down, dawning on me now, thanks to the demystifier's process. I think this is a reverse encode of the Abraham Lincoln assassination. And sure enough, we're going to have an interface, uh, a rewriting, a editing an emergency edit at the snap of a of a click of a finger, we're going to have some bells and whistles pop off around the image or the memory of a giant Abraham Lincoln-like character. And uh, when Wilkes Booth was blasted, there was a 12-day around-the-clock manhunt. This is getting all the saints in order, 12-day around-the-clock, right? This is a, This is a spell. This is the headlines, old school, heavy-handed spellcraft, 12-day round-the-clock manhunt. And they found him in a barn or a uh, – uh, it's actually another booth. It was a, a, a hide-tanning booth. So it Wilkes Booth pops Abe in a booth, jumps out of the booth, says a Jesuit uh, hail call, and limps off stage even though he's an actor – Total uh, uh, Ophiuchus all the way. The whole thing is Ophiuchus. He's even got a dagger. He's got a high dagger when he says his Jesuit call. And then uh, he jumps out of a booth, and they, a burning booth. They burnt the booth so he would come out and they could shoot him. Well, that corresponds to the kill order of Caput Garrett Lupinum. If you find him hiding in your house, you have to set it on fire to get him out. So they were adhering to fulfilling what was expected of you. If a renegade goes in your house, you've got to burn your own house down. And that goes to the Third Amendment. Hangman is one, two. One plus two is three. The Third Amendment is Caput Garrett Lupinum still today. You know, just as far away. So just as far away, but in the other direction, three years as the Great Chicago Fire is from 1868, where the scene is happening. Three years before that, 1865. April 9th is when Lincoln is, or is when the Civil War ends on one side of the Analema. And then April 16th, right on just a few days later, right on the other side of the Analema is when Lincoln is assassinated. So he basically dies on that, like right around that 216 tax day thing. Uh, bro, didn't he like live for a day after being shot? He was probably, sh what day was he shot? He might have actually been shot on April, um, what is tax day? April 16th, April 15th, whatever it is. It might not have 14th. been tax day back then. Yeah. Yeah, but that shot? turns out that is April also 4th, the he was Titanic, shot on the 14th. Uh, Titanic. Okay. Same day as the Titanic. This is totally ritual trauma day. It's also on the other side as John the Baptist gets loses his head on the other side of the Analema. So they're always going for the throat. The the isthmus. That makes sense. And, you know, it's supposed to be about the birth of the year and, and they're making that time, the season of sacrifice, as it's called, about death. Always like that. Like when they put uh, 
just last year on the winter solstice, when the sun is at its low point, they allegedly sent some doggy coin to the moon. And then, but earlier in the year on the summer solstice, when the sun's at its high point, they did the whole spell of like the deep underwater submarine Titanic bullshit. So sun's at its height. They're putting human awareness down at the lowest point. Sun's at its lowest point. They're trying to put human awareness up at the highest point. It's always this weird inversion, which is make, which is why I'm so highly distrustful of the inversion of the Zodiac order, putting Capricorn on top and cancer on bottom of the Thoth sun card. Or who knows who's inverting what? It's the circles, right? But it's all worth thinking about. I got, I got, I got a little. Yeah, I got a little on that. I think it's encoding the tribe of Dan. Tribe of Dan is said to have uh, pursued uh, the shellfish. They were so selfish that they wandered off the menu of what was allowed with the with the the camp that stayed behind, the two tribes that stayed loyal. And the tribe of Dan went chasing along the seashore following the shellfish. And so that actually plays into the Procyon. Turns out there's two types of raccoons. And one is literally, his name is a pre-dog who's washing crabs, is one of the types of of raccoons. So the aquatic ape theory is right here with these children having crabs at their feet. All right. (laughs) And we can, I can say more about that, but for brevity's sake, we're just going to keep going. The cough, the, uh, the letter cough, the meaning ape and serpent. But what we see now here is uh Renslayer gets beckoned into this barn with Miss Minutes. Now in this episode, if you go back and rewatch it, you're going to notice that they're going through these doorways, but they're like double doors or gates that are, more square shaped rather than like a traditional rectangular door. So the shape of the hay, you see that constantly in this episode going through arches and doorways like this. Almost every scene begins with something like that, establishing it or it's somewhere in the scene, maybe every scene. <laughs> I don't know, but it's there. So that's like the shape of the letter. Hay. there's hay in the barn, <laughs> like the straw. The, and they're seeking the God Messiah, the Yahweh Mashiach. They're seeking him in this scene. And in the mythos, of course, the Messiah is born in a manger, whether it's Krishna or Christ or et cetera, with goats. So here's the goat in the manger, in the very space where Miss Minutes and Renslayer are going to hatch their plot to give birth to their Messiah by altering his future. And, you, you know, you could even kind of consider that in this metaphor that Miss Minutes, who is luminous, is akin to the star of Bethlehem, that three wise people are Renslayer, Mobius and Loki. And they're following, they're, you know, they're all chasing Miss Minutes in this episode. At least that's what starts it all off. And it's all ends up to being a, a, a race or a Ras or a Resh to find the Messiah. And you notice, too, how nativity scenes often have this shape of the letter Hay with the, you know, the manger just being a little uh, a roof, basically, with no walls. It's very letter Hay-like. I just couldn't, I couldn't ignore that. Born in a manger. And without this little moment where they're hatching their plot and he's just a few feet away from them across a wall, you know, he's born in a manger. It's for sure. Horace was also born in a stable. Thank you, booty yoga. I'm, I don't have a receipt for that, but I believe you. It, (laughs) lots of them are. It's a common motif. It has to do with back to the cancer being on top of the Zodiac thing. It has to do with the, 
stellar tableau going on in the sky at that time that the solar child is symbolized by Leo, of course, and the star Regulus, which we've talked about this with John McHugh before when we've gone into deep, go look up Interverse with John McHugh and he goes full on about the stellar mythos of the Jesus's nativity scene, but that uh, the Babylonian Sumerian name for the star Regulus contains in all of its punning, the idea of the child king. It's a Tupsharu. So it's even got that Sar, which is rushed backwards in the word. Uh, so getting off track, but <laughs> there's a lot, there's so much here. The, um, and the stable is part of the cancer constellation. It's one of the asterisms in cancer. Dylan points out cleaning the Aegean stable was the fifth labor of Hercule, uh, Hercules. Hercules. Definitely. That's a, that's also accurate. Now, the plan that they're hatching is to put this package in that window. The word hay can be used to refer to a window. And the value of hay, five, also corresponds to the word ad, the root for Adam. But ad, Aleph Dalet, can mean to envelop, like this package in its envelope. And it's really more of a word about mists or vapors, like fogs, that conceal or obscure something. But in a poetic, a poetic sense, I think this envelope can apply. And because, you know, it's maybe maybe a little felt more like a stretch to be talking about concealing and enveloping or, or hiding things coming from this word add, um, although I believe it's there. I kind of left it out of some other slides, but there's a ton of hiding and concealing going on in this episode. Mostly the characters hiding and concealing from each other, but it's totally there. Uh and what's going on is you know, she finds out that or Renslayer finds out that the person who came up with this plan to put this package in the window was the uh, ascended, you know, old, ancient he who remains himself. So it's a definitely an Ouroboros thing is like creating himself. And I think that the he who remains character is really profoundly reminiscent of the once and f the myth of the future king, or I'm sorry, the myth of the Fisher King. <laughs> He's the, that's King Arthur as well. He's the once and future Kang. <laughs> he, he totally is just like the King Arthur mythos. Uh, R is even a word that gets you back to the lion of it all. Ari, Arya, Hebrew word for lion, but the myth of the Fisher King goes something like this. It's a old, old Celtic myth. In a boat on a lonely lake sits the Fisher King, impotent guardian of the mystery and of a wasteland made barren by a wound from his own spear. In the distance, his castle shrouded in mist where strange enchantments await the fool, disguised as night, to ask the question of the mystery and to begin again a new turning of life. So there's a lot of versions of the Fisher King myth, but essentially the Fisher King is wounded by his own spear allegorically by and in allegorically to the wounding by his own spear is how the future version of Kang or he who remains is, is killed by a wound that he suffers from Sylvie, who in a way is his own weapon because he created all the conditions for her to exist and laid the path out for Loki and Sylvie to find him. Also, just like the myth of the Fisher King, Kang's castle is shrouded in mist. <laughs> that was the big smoke monster, Eliath. They had to go through that shroud of mist to get to his castle. And Loki, as the fool, 
asks the question of the mystery. He's the one that's asking questions. Silva's just going to there to kill him. You know, she's more of a weapon. Uh, and the death of he who remains at the end of season one, that begins a new turning of life, a new cycle where he can become a young and fertile Kang once again. Also relevant is that the Fisher King is the last guardian of the Holy Grail. And in this metaphor, as it shows up in the episode, near the end of the episode, it's his device called the throughput multiplier, which is needed to restore the TVA to working order. We'll cover that in part two more carefully, but it happens to look a lot like a grail <laughs> in its shape. And he holds it up like, ah, <laughs> and of course, Jesus is a version of the Fisher King. His symbol is the fish. And before Christians were called Christians, they were the Pishikuli, meaning the little fishes. <laughs> There's a lot to it. The wound by the spear, that's Odin. Same as Balder being wounded by the mistletoe. Balder even comes up in this episode in case we weren't thinking about the Fisher King. It's just the oh, same story over and over again. Here's some artwork of the Fisher King. is looks just like Heracles. I don't know where this art comes from. It's not ancient, so it's not like a confirmation of anything, but I like that image. So, <clears throat> Gabe, you got anything before we move forward? Yeah, man, this is this so rich. It's so rich. Like, uh, when you said the star card, it's just now hitting me that the glyph on the star card is window. It means window. And uh, I just shot you an image uh, that... Um, one of my reads on the star card, because of the this triggering aspect of the leap year and the fact that I'm putting her in this position, this back handspring position, it is uh, it's uh, this is a linchpin maneuver. Uh, when you do this makaku backflip, it's a there's no going back. Once you you got to commit when you do the backflip, there's no half ass in the backflip. So uh, it's very much like a grenade. <laughs> and so the spring, the primer, the striker, these are ingredients of the hand grenade. And so uh, the symbol of the window, she's about to throw this book in the window and run. So it has kind of a trick or treat. Uh, tr he's inseminating his own uh, um, inception. He's inseminating his own inception by having her. Uh, he's influencing her to uh, pass the information to himself at a younger age. But I she's just wanted also, to bring the hand in this metaphor into she's the picture. The, uh, <laughs> she's the mother. She's she's like his mother because she's creating him, but who also wants to be his lover. It's the Kybel and Addis. You know, it's that whole thing. It's really obvious, actually. <laughs> she wants to be his lover and she created him. Both of the uh, Miss Minutes and Rinslayer share that attribute. So I want to mention uh, Adonis comes up, has come up a couple times. Uh, the number eight is a hedonist. The word hedonist has the word Adonis. You just drop that and make the eight silent. It's an hedonist. So the hedonist has the Adonai insemination mythos uh, required. Um, so, yeah, this fact that she's uh, throwing this uh, trigger uh, to spark off events. And she's on, uh, by the way, did we mention this is the sacred timeline? 
we're now on like a timeline that is uh, must be preserved. There's no, there's, they, uh, they can't just trim this and try to reset it. This is actually sacred timeline now. And so the nature of this, uh, this land that they're on in, in the story uh, cannot be edited. And that's why the aspect of rewriting history is going to be really important. And let's not miss the fact that when um, Carlson, trucker, trucker, uh, the trucker Carlson <laughs> alarm system was talking to Vladimir Putin about history. They were talking about how important history is. And here we just, for two years, have been watching Loki where they're talking about cutting off sacred timelines. And everybody's upset about Tartaria and mud flood and the muddle ages, the muddy ages, the middle ages, and all of the arguing over whose daddy inseminated whose thoughts uh, with their book of life. So uh, one more point here is the ISS is a 911. And right now they're going to try to convince people that there's uh, that the sky is falling. In the map of it, if you look at the picture of all the debris that's floating on helium balloons, hot air balloons, you know, satellites, it looks like the entire planet Earth is one big coronavirus. And if all these satellites start poking us like a pincushion, it's going to uh, fulfill the prophecy that people already thought existed when the sea urchin emergency popped off. So, yeah, I just wanted to put the continuation of government in the linchpin maneuver of the backhand spring of Terpsichore, whose name is basically Ter Tulsi Gabbard. Terpsichore and Tulsi Gabbard are basically the same name. Tulsi in reverse is Lusty, and this card was in the Lust position, number eight, and now it's going to the center stage. I don't have any, I don't even know. <laughs> I like that ISS is 9-11, though. Okay. This is a great graphic. Dropping bombs. People ought to go check out. Join our Telegram groups. Bombs. <laughs> Join our Telegram groups, and you can get access to all Gabe's uh, amazing graphics. That They're like a journey in and of themselves. COG, Continuity of Government, The Real Mafia. So that is accurate. Rand, thank you for that awesome super chat. Really appreciate the support. You guys out there, feel free to super chat Gabe through Cash App as well. His Cash App is dollar sign slick dissident. And here we go back into my slides. All right. So, yeah, the Fisher King covered that real well. Now, Miss Minutes uh, is sort of chastised for being too out in the open by Renslayer. And so if, even though this is just goofy, there's no way this actually makes her more <laughs> incognito. But she becomes, as the Holy Ghost, she becomes even more ghost-like as she does a 19th century costume change to be a a, a disnified, even more disnified, like Steamboat Willie, uh, black and white version of herself. Just silly. Uh, but, you know, it's back to the she wants to blend in. So it's back to that idea of concealment that is kind of hidden in the A.D. Aleph Dalet, the number five. And. Got to get my. Things all organized so I can change slides. Here we go. All right. 
messed with my monitors and everything's a little different. Here we go. So at this point, we have Rinslayer and Ms. Minutes are outside of the window of, as of right now, dead Osiris. He's dead because he's not on track to be reborn as himself in his full godly he who remains glory, right? So these are the this is the two Marys outside of the tomb of Jesus. The two goddess the goddesses that create Adam, Alaim. This is the Isis and Nephthys on the sides of the dead Osiris. I totally see this. I'm sure about this. <laughs> they that's who they are. They're the ones that are here, they're here to resurrect him. <laughs> Just like Mary and Mary waiting for Jesus to resurrect or yeah, Isis and Nephthys. It's all there. This is a big, this is just a key component of the mythos. The two goddesses with the resurrection of the God. And they both are in love with them too. Totally. They want to, Isis and Nephthys totally both want to get it on with, with Jesus. And if you carry that metaphor over to Mary and Mary, uh, you've got, <laughs> you know, why do it, no one ever like thinks it's strange that Jesus's mom is also the name of his lover. It's exactly the same as Kybel and Addis. It's the goddess that wants to, the goddess that wants to bang her son, and her son's also her father. And it's so weird. Or Martha and Mary with Lazarus. Yeah, good one. Totally. Nice, nice. Yes. Well, one thing about the incest is, it is, uh, it's clearly preserving pharaonic lines. And the fact that Sigmund Freud was made his career studying incest actually tells you where the money is in the psycho- in the world of psychology, and that is that these pharaonic lines are still uh, uh, making moves on the very high orders. So some of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung's uh, uh, battles of conscience uh, had to do with the fact that only rich people could afford their help, and therefore they were looking at rich people's problems. And those rich people's problems got a lot of incest baked into it. And those guys were sitting on a ton of secrets that they took to their grave. So these incest practices and uh, even Einstein, man, relativity, relativity. He I think that's just mockery. Einstein ended up with his niece. So these guys, yeah, they got to keep it. I think accelerationism, yeah, that's part of the accelerationist thing. But uh, one other point is uh, the virgin on one side and the not so much virgin on the other, and the word window. This is also um, an encode for women to know when it's good to go and when it's not. So the window of fertility is needs to be immortalized and for the lady's sake. And, you know, guys should probably know about what that window means, too. Right. That's also part of the knowledge of cycles. It's a good point. <laughs> okay. So this is okay. So now we finally see the child version of Kang of Victor timely. He is the light of the world. He's the sun, but he's just a child still. So his light is only small. Thus, of course, he's a candle maker. Here he is making candles. Cause he's the light of the world. <laughs> it's so direct of the metaphor. The threads of Candlewick on this loom type of thing next to him, that's foreshadowing his later creation of the temporal loom and also relates to one of the meanings of the word hay being thread. And his being black is, of course, because the original solar deity archetype is black, whether it's Osiris who's colored black or Krishna, a name that means black. 
or the Italian Black Madonna and Child, which was extant in Italy well before the time given to the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the black God as well. And it's not really about race, Ross, Rush. It's not really about race. It's about the origin of light being in darkness. It's about order arising from chaos or the unknown or the unconscious proceeding the known or the conscious. But I just, me and Jennifer were just like, oh my God, he's making candles. I totally forgot that detail until we rewatched it. But that's immediately I was like, yes, the sun card. He is the light. <laughs> he is the way, the truth and the life. Big time. Just couldn't, couldn't have been anything else. And then the breeze blows in the window and that's what alerts him to the transformative book that Rensselaer dropped through the window. So the breeze in the window is the divine wind. Later in the episode, they actually call it the divine hand and a divine hand that gives him the book. This is the, this moment is the Ouroboros termination and beginning point. This is the spring equinox point. This is the birth point. And from this point on, the timeline that he this child is on is now a, a variant branch. It's not the sacred timeline anymore. It was the sacred timeline. Now he's a variant. He is Kronos. He is the sun and keeper of time. As the sun measures out the seasons and the cycles of time. He is Liber Pater, the father of the book. And the book is his father. That's a mind bender. <laughs> considering though that it teaches and instructs him on who he's going to become, you know, the book is that he is the book and the book is him. And here you see Lieber Potter an uh, old Grecian Grecian illustration. And he's got the horn, the KRN that's the same exact phonetics as Kron Kronos. George, what's up, George? Welcome. Thank you for the thank you. Good stuff. Nice. Uh, so I got to point out the veil um, at the window. This, uh, this, the thin uh, sheen of the of the curtain, uh, very much uh, kind of harmonizes with the uh, the Machiavelli uh, insinuation. I see Machiavelli often because I've, I'm studying him actively, but uh, that's also another crucial writing uh that if you wanted to inform somebody or give them a more expansive worldview back in the days machiavelli would have been uh yeah very uh innovative very innovative so just the fact that the veil is implied is very interesting oh yeah he's seen through the veil of maya because who came through the veil was mary metaphorically Maya Mary same deal that's great and okay there's Dylan's dropping all kinds of fire in the chat first he mentions Surtur the Norse god Surtur which is the one that brings the the end times and the darkness and the fire you know he's like a a hellish guy in the Norse and then Shuri or Suri which is the Hades underworld wolf god of the Etruscans both of those are Sir, which is Resh backwards. And then he says, Acts 21, or no, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, if you want to read it to demonstrate the relationship between the Heli Gust and the Sir Surakos. Yeah, why not? Acts 
I'm sure that that's worth it. Acts 2, 1 through 4. All right. When uh, that kind the day of, of that Pentecost rhymes came, with uh, Socrates. Go ahead. Okay. The, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were, Penta, that's five, like, hey. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be the tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Oh, man. And that's the NIV version. Uh, I would, I'm going to save that. There's, wow. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yes. Holocaust. This episode so that rhymes. Holocaust. Uh, See, that, Holocaust that is Holy rhymes Ghost. with Socrates summoning. Yes. Yes. Socrates summons uh, Diatima Montanea and he does belly talking. He does ventriloquism. He does a holy gust and he talks so much that uh, he goes. Uh, into the night and talks people to sleep, in fact, and enchants them to such a degree. Uh, so, yeah, that ventriloquism aspect of the number seven uh, and the windbag of it all, chance we found that there once was a, a hot air balloon constellation. And I believe that that has been invoked many times. And in fact, I'm even inclined to believe that Odysseus, when he has the holy zephyr wind gifted to him and he goes back on his way and he's supposed to have the, all the lucky winds trapped and some of his soldiers are like, what's in this bag, yo? And they pop it open and they let the winds get out and it ruins the plan. He has to go back to the king. The king is like, nah, man, you fucked up when on the first try. Chance, there's a perfectly good uh, uh, potential for that to actually been hot air balloon technology. The uh, the potential of hot air balloon technology in Odysseus is right there staring us in the face. Uh, so, yeah, Saturn's may be way older than you thought. Well, you realize that that's actually coming up in a, a little bit in this episode, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Okay. There's so many things about the epics that need to be completely reconsidered with the new technology because it's so simple. It's just simple. It's, uh, you know, controlled technology. Well, allegedly, hydrogen was what they used in the hot air balloons at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. Not hot air. It was hydrogen. And they were getting hydrogen by applying electric current to water, a.k.a. electrolysis, which electrolysis is such a huge rabbit hole esoterically that might be in, in, insanely important around like how the earth grows and is formed. It's beyond the scope of talking about right now, but to say, Hey, we've discovered batteries and stuff from way, way, way back in the ancient world, the Baghdad battery, for example. So there's your electricity. All you got to do to get hydrogen is apply an electric current to water in the right way. And boom, you've got the, you know, you've got levity. And so what you're saying is not that far out, dude, hot air, not hot air balloons, but hydrogen balloons is totally plausible at any time in history because batteries do not require any kind of major manufacturing capabilities to make. It could be done. 
It's not out. It's not out of the question. It's so crazy. Yep. And not even <laughs> Sarah Laugh makes a good uh, point. Not even a hot okay, air so balloon is make- that hard of attack. Anyone with a blanket and a large fire could do it. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Let's uh, let's not miss the point that it's bag dad bad dream that it's in the word let's not miss that the name of the place it came from has the bad very in it let's also mention that hydrogen is the pinnacle of one of the jockeying and boaz hydrogen is actually the origin of mercury's name the h to the g this is the og first and foremost and so when we have all these uh saints pointing to the heavens that's a that signifies like oneness of thought, or we are all in agreement, or I, my vote is yes. But it's also big up to the high dragon. Big up to the high dragon. Yeah, buddy. The OG HG right there. All right. Power, all right. power, power. Yeah, number one champion <laughs> of the periodic table. <laughs> and a mate, like back to the Helios of it, hydrogen, water, hydro has a lot of healing helios the sun power potency 100 percent. dylan says tva is also deva which is a word for god yes it is yes it is good stuff i love you guys in the chat you make this so much more fun that's why i leave the whole thing free <laughs> even though i really should be doing some paywall content lately but i'm just i have so much fun with these uh loki shows i just, kind of obsessed with it (laughs) so now we've cut over to the tva speaking of the deva the devas and we see that back at the tva the uh temporal meltdown is imminent every the destruction of the universe is imminent where that's why it's so important that they find the regeneration of the cycle with finding he who remains because it's all it's at the destruction point back over here the uh, the crew, Casey, Orboros, Loki, Mobius, B-15, they're all comparing their notes on the situation. And they they realize they can't access the temporal loom, which they need to uh, stop from melting down without having the aura, aura being wind, of the man who created it. The spirit of the man who created it, a.k.a. he who remains. On the genocides and population control of the end of the last episode where General Docs pruned most of the multiverse branches did buy them some time, but the branches are all growing back. So the meltdown is definitely going to happen. Then we talk about how they talk about how they need to scale the looms capacity to manage all of these new branches. Well, hey, the word for a branch in Hebrew does have a solar connection. It equals 200. It's. I N none pay equals 200. <laughs> That's fun. Like Resh and the window. There's your hay is fenced off. That also means hay by blast doors. And that restricts them from getting to the loom and the loom is struggling to thread. Hey, all of the branches Resh. So just like right here in this little moment, it's like, Hey Resh, Hey Resh, <laughs> all these words. Uh, all these meanings of those two words showing up big time in the scene. Then they decide that let's like, what about Miss Minutes? Can she open up access to the loom? They decide that she can open this up for them because she has administrator access to all time and space and to the TVA systems. But the question is, how do we find her? She's gone AWOL. 
Uh, she's a little rogue cartoon clock that doesn't want to be found. So they decide if they can find Renslayer, they can find the little cartoon clock. And then the last episode at the end, once all the branches were destroyed, they had narrowed down their search because of that. So they were able to do cell phone tracing on government surveillance on uh, the temp pad of Renslayer using the tracking technology. And they're hoping that Renslayer will be able to get miss minutes for them. And because their tracking shows that the two have been in contact. So they are now, we're now jumping away from this scene and we're going to back to Chicago. And what do you know? The next shot establishes the Kabbalah again, the black horse Kabbalahs. Just like the last time that we opened in Chicago, 1868, we're back in Chicago, 1868. First thing they show us is a horse. Like it's the beginning of the transmission. It's the beginning of the Kabbalah, the Kabbalahs. It couldn't be more, you know, couldn't be more uh, intentional. It feels like why else would you put the horse right there at the beginning twice, not once, but twice. And now Mobius and Loki arrive and they're wearing hats, which I don't think they've ever done before unless you count Loki's horns. So the hats are calling attention to their resh, their heads. Uh, They're seeking wisdom, which is Ross or Rush from the goddesses of creation, Renslayer and Miss Minutes. Interestingly, in this shot, you see a 157 above, above Loki's head. I think that's a reference to the setting sun. Because they're in the like the next scene, they're going to be hanging out till the sun sets. It's going to be night, and night has importance. We'll talk about more in part two, uh, relating to chaos that needs ordering. But also, who are they chasing after? They're chasing after the female goddesses, the two Marys, the, the yoni, the generative power. That's a one fifty seven. None cough bet hay. 157 and it's specifically is referring to the power of the female generative power in its hollowness because like the letter hey has a cavitation or hollowness that gives it its power the exhale of hey <sighs> empties out hollows out the vessel of the body or the lungs or the wind bag all of that um and notice as they're passing by there's these planks here Okay, go ahead. I'll save the planks. Well, I was just going to mention that uh, 157 is the 37th prime number. Uh, so there's our Mason-Dixon and our 37, which is crucial. Uh, Gershev's law of the seven and the three, sacred 37. And you divide it in half and you get the lunar standstill cycle. It's a, it's a yeah, 37. That's a bingo bango. Nice. That's a good one because she's the, 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 they're looking for the ones who have the secrets, the high priestesses in a way they're chasing after some priestesses, which the priestess is the letter bet, right? No, it's Gimel, <laughs> Gimel and Gimel is a 73, but 73 is the, the 21st prime. You flip it. 37 is the 12th prime. So whenever you talk about 37, you're talking about 73, 157 being the 73rd prime is bringing us back to the Gimel. I know it's very mathy, but it's it's all consistent because they're chasing after a priestess. And 157 also is referring to that feminine generative power. And 
Dylan says, did you guys ever address Ren Slayer as the Ren Slayer? That is the Slayer of the Songbird, God of Silence, Harpocrates, etc. You know, I didn't bring it up like that, but I did. We have talked about Ren as the Egyptian word for the the name, the body or layer of the self that is given life by having a name, a unique name, because that's part of the legal sorcery of it all. And the TVA is this giant universal bureaucracy and their control. Renslayer is controlling people by their name. And she does like that shows up a lot more in season one, but it's totally a thing. Now, looky here at these planks. I'm going to explain why these planks are here in the next slide. So there's a lot going on here. <laughs> okay. As they enter the scene, Mobius comments on Chicago, 1868 to the same spot in 1893. That's the two hits they got on their cell phone tracking. 1868 to 1893. There are other ways to mix up these numbers that give good clues. But the first way that I think is most relevant is multiplying them out. 1868 multiplied out becomes 384. 1893 multiplied out 216. Let's add it together. 216 plus 384 is 600. Ding, ding, ding. Now you've maybe heard of the religious doctrine that claims the earth to be less than 6,000 years old. The Hebrew calendar currently is set at the year 5784. This is all part of this ancient idea where anciently there is thought to be a cycle of time in which the Christ or Messiah, the reincarnation of Adam, the firstborn of the first cause, Protagonos, would appear every 600 years is what it was thought. So at this interval of time, the priests would look for a figure who they thought might be this being, this reincarnation. This cycle is called the Nero cycle, and Nero is Greek for water. (laughs) It's the water cycle. There would be some fudging by the priests of this 600 number, like other versions of it would be 608 or 650, occasionally other amounts, because the system kept being revised to try to make it fit reality. And without getting lost in the sauce on this, just trust me that this is a thing. An example of this is, like the most recent example, I think, is how there are 600 years roughly between Jesus and Mohammed. Islam was another of these Nero's cycle reboots. And I, you know, I suspect maybe, I don't know, but if it was me and I was the people originating this system way back in the day, smart enough to come up with the whole astrology and navigation by stars and et cetera, maybe the whole idea of the, the reboots was so that people wouldn't have as much idolatry. They could sort of cut everything uh, back down to the bare basics of the system with a new version of the deity and start over kind of like reboot every 600 years. But as time went on, it just became a way to totally grabble. Um, like Alexander the great, he was like, every time you get one of these divine God, King emperors, they're said to be an incarnation of, of the protagonist, the son of God, anybody that's getting called the son of God with a divine immaculate conception. So anyway, This is exactly what's going on in this episode. They are searching for the reincarnated God Messiah, except instead of calling it an incarnation, they're just calling him a variant. But it's the same thing because incarnations of the same being are variants of the same being. And they also just walked past some boards and some planks, which in Hebrew, the word for that equals 600. 
Kafresh Shin. So, you know, just in case it was looking like I might have been stretching a little bit, the imagination to come up with this idea that the difference between these two years is encoding 600 and we're searching for an incarnation. Well, we just happened to walk by some boards and planks that equal 600. So the allegory is doubled up in the imagery of this scene, making it very clear to me that we're meant to be thinking this way or that this it's here, <laughs> whether or not intentional, it's, it's totally here. There are yep. said to be 10 cycles before the destruction yes. and renovation of the world. So the world ending at the year 6,000 in the Hebrew calendar is an indication of uh, 10 cycles of 600. In the microcosm, the 600-year cycle would destroy and renovate aspects of society. And in the macro cycle, the entire world would be destroyed and renovated in 6,000 years. And the wheel we see frequently in this episode, and really throughout this series, totally illustrates the cycle and also fits with the value of hey being five through the word GD or Gimel Dalet. That's GD, like God, the rim of the wheel. It also means that word also means an arch or a support GD. God is supported by the arch of the heaven. And this just like the sun rides on the wheel of the Zodiac. Okay. I'll stop now. Good Lord. It just keeps going. Doesn't it? It's so self-confirming. It's amazing. I'm going to keep cavitating a little more. Um, so the X is the 24th letter in English. Two plus four makes it a six. And uh, also, uh, so the six is also sig signified here in a powerful way. But this is like signing X on the dotted line. This is totally the mechanics of the axial arrangement. That's fascinating what you just said, Chance, about the 10 into the times the 600 on the micro to the max grow the cavitating of it can you bring up we'll just flash through uh the series that i sent you starting with the most recent and we'll just go backwards really fast because you mentioned they're looking for a messiah here in a minute the uh, the impact of finding what they're looking for is uh i found it emotionally overdone uh but if you know the history of the symbol that they're fulfilling then when Loki sees what he's looking for, his reaction is justified. This 10 card is knowingly seeded into people's knee-jerk reaction around Satan. And this is like a lamed or an ox code or a cracking of a whip that they're going to stimulate the minds of people with things that are evil to scare them back to work. So uh, Blake's Dark Satanic Mills is a secret national anthem of the UK. Uh, and so this is uh, signifying um, Karl Marx was writing his manifesto in the city of London when he uh, made uh, Merxism, Merxists, the Merxists. Uh, it has much to do with mercantilism and the murex of the Phoenician purple of the high priests. And then can you just flip to the next one? I'm just going to rant through real quick to emotionally charge what you're saying about these signs and the symbols in the alleyway. Um, and real quick, uh, Alistair Crowley has a very famous story where he's walking down the street and one of his buddies on the street is like, do some magic right now. No preparation. And Alistair's like, all right, let me see. And he switches hats 
and he starts walking in the footprints of a guy five steps ahead of him, and he starts emulating the guy's stride exactly. And on the fifth step, Crowley, the guy doesn't know Crowley's behind him, and Crowley falls down to one knee on the fifth step. And the next step the guy takes, he does the exact same fall as Crowley. So the fact that they're walking around with two different hats, like a round hat and a square hat, it's kind of interesting. There might be some uh, the difference between a tecton and a tent maker, John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus was a temple maker. John the Baptist was a tent maker. That's the square versus the circle with their hats. But can you pull up the next one? I'll just We can just flash really quickly through. This is why 10 is say 10, a thousand different ways. But also uh, Pope Innocent X was uh, immortalized in the, by an artist who I think is uh, copying this card. I think this is copycat uh, artwork. But uh, Innocent the Tenth, this is a painting of him, but done in the motif of the Thoth deck. And also, um, uh, the, the, there was a shootout with uh, the Untouchables. And during the Untouchables, there was a cart, a baby carriage, going down these steps while the, the gangsters are shooting at each other. And so some of the, uh, the Wild Wild West motif and the fact that they're in the alleyways dressed like this and they keep summoning tension over the 10 being shown, the 10 shown is building. So I just wanted to uh, signify that they do this in art uh, uh, intentionally. <laughs> this is intentional buildup. It can, you can fly on through. Battleship Potemkin had a scene just like the Untouchables, where the X was building tension. You know, okay, yeah, and this is here. This is what they're looking. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, it's totally random, but this makes me think of. I don't know. You've, you're probably not a big gamer. Maybe you are. But there's this game series called Kingdom Hearts where Disney and uh, this Japanese game developer merged their franchises, essentially. And they combined all of the Final Fantasy game series characters with all the Disney characters and made one big multiverse out of it and whatever. Long story. Tons of esotericism in that. And the overarching villain villain of that series, as I recall, is called Sa-X or Sa-X. So it's Say, S-A-I, like Satan, but X instead of 10. <laughs> say X. <laughs> and he has a big scar on his uh, head that's in the shape of an X, the 10. And he's got, uh, before he became the villain, Satan or Say X, he was a uh, a boy who was good named Isa, which is the root of Jesus and, and words for savior. So <laughs> that's the side subject. George would love that. Yorgo would love to hear me break that down. I know he loves to get into the esoteric video game gravy and Final Fantasy stuff is just full of it. But man, and that's just random. That's what it made me think of. Nice. I just uh, got on a uh, video game kick myself today. I made started some graphics on along that line. We'll, we'll share soon. But uh, I just wanted to kind of substantiate that they're looking for this certain imprint. They need this aura. And uh, the profile of Victor Timely, strangely enough, there was a word in Hitler's Mein Kampf. Uh, he uh, was looking for the ideal 
Flickter Fulling, Victor Flugen, which is so close to Victor Timely's name. It's so close uh, when you just pronounce it instead of spelling it. But sure enough, Victor Timely's comic book character was doing like a Hail Hitler sign in his defining moment. Um, and, you know, science advances one funeral at a time. Uh, but then, the, uh, so the spirit of Victor Flugen is uh, giving everything to the service of the community and the community will. And so here's the wheel of the will of the, of the collective of, of uh, uh, getting the homunculus to respond to your uh, whatever, your manipulations, the fundamental spirit of which uh, this kind of activity springs. There's that word spring, uh, star cards. It's doing the backhand spring, right? It's just literally the Eridanus River is a spring that pours out from the Hierophant or Taurus's feet down into the backwards across the zodiac. Uh, who's the kind of activity spring is the contradistinction of egoism. So this is interesting. And because, we call it idealism. Sorry, I took uh, that down yeah, before you read it. Victor Timely is the other in No, yeah, yeah. Uh, something really fascinating about the fact that they're looking for another Hitler, basically. And this Victor Timely is like going to be the black Hitler, uh, but people won't see it that way because he's black. So it can't be the black Hitler. But, but yeah, it's a new day and age, right? Zeno, Scientologists got their black Zeno Hitler. That might be in the in the wings. The, Jenny says, comic book Timely definitely looks more like Tesla. It's a really good point. And there is a recent movie about the Chicago World's Fair, the race, the rush to light the world. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit as we go forward, too. It's a re- pretty recent movie. Uh, and wait, you're, you're bringing up the oh. will with this word, flicker fulung, <laughs> the uh, will, and it's the communal will, right? It's something like that. It's like the will of the crowd. Versus the consideration of one's own individual interests. Well, ain't that the theme of this episode? You nail it here. Cause later on, we'll talk about it more in part two, but there's this question of like, should we save Victor timely? I mean, we need him to save us, but does that mean we, we just got our free will back, right? We just got free will because the old King is dead. So we can do what we want, but are we trying to put in a new King and set it all up exactly like it was before and give up our free will? And what is the will center of the the body? It's the solar plexus. That's the will, big time. So, and what is and Victor Timely? Uh, he's a confidence trickster. He's a con man. And the other attribute of the solar plexus is your confidence. It's your. It's totally about self esteem. A little different than self worth, but it's about confidence. So, all of this stuff is very present in the episode. <laughs> like. We're doing our best to I, like I'm doing my best mainly to get the stuff that is not so obvious. And we probably leave out a lot of stuff that would be obvious. But that's that's for you to discover because we're already going to be on a long time frame to talk about the not so obvious stuff. But that's the fun stuff. So where's OK. Getting back to slides. Here we go. We see them. Loki and Mobius. They are. Uh, stopping at that prominent window. Hey. Hey, it's the same window as where the solar child received the book. 
They also make sure that we are thinking about major pivot points in history, like wheels and wills move on a pivot. And uh, they mentioned the Great Chicago Fire. Any major figures arise from here? No. I mean, you had the Great Chicago Fire, but that's 1871. So just in case you didn't know, they, the Great Chicago Fire is in between these two points in the timeline. And then they jump. Oh, go ahead. You got something, Gabe? Mint. The actor's name is Major. John Major. He's a major he's figure. right behind point, that window. Jonathan Majors. They totally, that's something else. That is really something else. And then uh, we have to, I just have to remind people. Joe, sorry. Joe Biden's dog is named Commander. And there's a side weave that we haven't really expanded on. We just left it. It's like uh, needs to be picked back up about all the president's dogs are actually encoding uh, drug lords. And uh, so they, their dogs' names are inside jokes to the drug industries. And there's, uh, yeah, uh, and other things. It's not always a drug lord, but there's like two of them are a drug lord. One of the Bush dogs, was uh, its name was Sully, and that was the guy who landed the airplane. So it's almost like he's absolving the Bush family from the airplanes that didn't survive. By naming their dog Sully. It's weird. It's weird. So yeah, names of president's dogs are all encoded to the max. Speaking of Jonathan Majors, uh, I don't know what's going on with this legal case, but the most recent headlines say that his sentencing is getting postponed. I also see that his current girlfriend is supportive of him, quote unquote, going through his legal battles for his domestic abuse allegedly uh, her name is megan good so if you make the g and megan a y you got maya mayan god <laughs> goddess maya maya i think that's funny so now we do a time jump they walk through the time door and they're in the world's fair all of a sudden and loki's like this can't be the same place <laughs> he's rightly exclaiming this can't be the same place Kind of poking fun at how difficult it is to believe in the official historical narrative of the sacred timeline of the real world regarding the world's fairs being constructed in less than a year and then totally torn down. Like what? That's so bizarre. Uh, so this is the midway play pleasance. And basically that's encoding the midwife placenta <laughs> because this is the time and place where the midwifery or the birth of the Messiah God is delivered. Pleasance is a French word. It means desire or pleasure in old French. Lots of places are named uh, Pleasance where French people settled, including some variations like in Newfoundland in Canada, where there's a town called Placentia. <laughs> it's a real place. We also see they're on a street, a wide open street, the Midway. And that word is a 216, encoding the year they just came into. It's Resh, Chet, Vav, Bet. And we also see the rim of the wheel that I was mentioning, the Ferris wheel, and then the arch that I just described relating to the Hebrew word Gimel Dalet, GD, equal to the letter five, like the letter Hey. 
And this arch has shields upon it, which are esoterically a symbol of the solar disk because the sun is a shield shape in the sky. And it's always been, that's always been a, a solar symbol. They're not round shields, but it's still shields on an arch, which is like degrees of the Zodiac rather than Zodiac signs or constellations is like specific degrees. You know, it's more incremental. This is maybe in the part two, if there's time, we'll talk more about this arch de triumph. They, they did try, they do call it that in the real historical timeline. And the triumph is the triple stone, you know, the tri, the, the triumph So it's always been a solar savior thing. You know, the, uh, yo, yo triumphe. That's what the Romans would exclaim to praise Jove or Jehovah. Yo triumphe. Now, so there's a hundred, this is 100% a placenta thing. <laughs> this play is on word. It's we're if you were playing placenta bingo, it's at one, one hour, 48 minutes is when we got there. Something like that. Now here we see Mobius. He's like, no, this is really the same place. The white city, Edison, H H Holmes. Yes. Hot air balloons. Oh boy. <laughs> the, uh, First of all, we already kind of got into the hot air balloons, so I'm cool to kind of jump past that. The hydrogen-powered hot air balloons, they're not actually hot air at this time. It's hydrogen, which to me is like more advanced than using fire and hot air. But this H.H. Holmes guy, oh boy. (laughs) He's a con artist, a confidence trickster, if you will, and a serial killer and a wealthy guy uh, active in Chicago at this time. The crazy thing here is that the press at the time of his capture claimed that he'd killed up to 200 people. 200 is the value of the rash, the sun and his name H H Holmes. Hey, 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 triple. Hey, and I'll talk a little more about Holmes because he's going to come up again uh, in the episode, but damn, that's a, that's quite a character. Now, the World's Fair of 1893 was called the Columbian Exposition. Columbia is a word referring to heaven and the dove, the latter being a very significant symbol in this series, albeit an occulted one. It's, ooh, yeah, the holm tree, the holm oak that Odin hangs on, H.H. H. Holmes. Good call, Dylan. Good call. But anyway, um, we've discussed the dove aspect in previous episodes. Beyond the scope of our analysis, tonight to really get into the nitty gritty about the world's fair and the many, many chronological inconsistencies and illogicalities that it presents to us. And I'm not qualified to make a, you know, a a definitive statement one way or the other, but it is worth looking into for anyone that hasn't done so. For example, this, this show Loki actually sidesteps depicting any of the big white stone buildings or the giant golden quote statue of the Republic. This statue that you see in the left picture, huge statue, it was ordered to be destroyed by fire after the fair. Just like all the rest of these buildings that were this grand, awesome looking architecture, supposedly built in a year and destroyed right after the fair. It's hard to believe. The image on the right uh, is a one third scale replica made 25 years later. So that's kind of interesting because 25 years before 1868. And 25 years after 1868 is 1893. 25 years after that is 1918 when they unveil this replica. 
Now, the right hand of the statue holds a globe with an eagle perched on it. The other hand has a staff with a plaque that reads Liberty. The original version had a Phrygian cap on the top of the staff. It's really quite insane to consider that all this was so easily created and destroyed. But more importantly, the sacred timeline, as in the mythos of the history of America, what America is, where it came from, the revolution, the the story of how it is settled, you know, westward expansion and all that. Consider how this is a mythos, because really <laughs> all we have of that is stories like the records are not uh, the best records we have is pretty much writing. And when you compare uh, the physical evidence to the narrative, there's a lot of problems, like all, especially the West Coast, like San Francisco, where there's also a World's Fair. It will just leave it at saying it appears that there were already big white uh, stone buildings and big elaborate cities with the Greco-Roman columns and architectural style that were already here in North America that were then just founded as in found <laughs> rather than built. And some of it was done away with uh, that maybe needed to be done away with to keep the, the regular common folk in the belief system that was handed to them in the world's fairs. And why I say the world's fairs were important to the founding of the mythos of the history of America is because there were like textbooks written of American history for the first time and they were disseminated at the world's fairs. And on top of that, you had all these exhibits of different races or races or reshes of this is what black people are like, where they come from. This is Africans. This is Norwegians. This is Chinamen. You know, they like they were giving people the story of all the races and of all the uh, histories. And before that, before this history was disseminated this way and, and entered into folklore, there weren't there wasn't a high amount of a high degree of literacy. Most people were subsistence farming, you know, on, on frontiers and shit or, or some other type of like indentured servitude. So the history that they had was probably just regional and local and folklore. And now we're entering into the folklore canon for people to circulate around amongst themselves. And then technology is starting to take off. And not long after this, we're going to have like the radios and the um, telegraphs and all of that. So, you know, before long, this, you know, this foundation of the, the mythos of the history of America, which is very much, you know, you can pull out all of the same type of uh, clues to the esoteric monomyth out of American history, just like you can with Roman history. So we really, as far as being sure about what happened historically, you go earlier than the Civil War and it gets very shaky about what's actually true and what's not history, but mythology. Yeah, Jimmy's right. There were human zoos <laughs> at the World's Fairs. It was it was pretty whack. So like if this show, the major theme of this show is the sacred timeline and the managing of the perception of the historical narrative, they have to cover. They have to show the World's Fair in this show because that's the most significant event in the sacred timeline that fits their whole allegory of controlling history, controlling the story of history. It's uh, it's whenever I first saw season two of the show and they go to the world's fair in this episode, I was like, well, we have to demystify this now. 
<laughs> this pretty much sealed the deal for me. So I'm like excited that we're at this point in our in our uh, analysis. Awesome. Yes, man. Yes, totally required. Uh, uh, so World's Fair is a WF Wheel of Fortune. Of course, they bring us to a Ferris wheel. World uh, Economic Ferris Forum. Ferris is a serif. World Economic Forum. Yep, even Whole Foods. Whole Foods is in the mix, too. Um, it's also a 56 um, or a 65, really. Um, but yeah, that's a very interesting uh, because 56 is the minor arcana. The 56 cards of the minor arcana have a WFFW relationship. And this is the labor class and the, the, uh, the mundane, the working, the working cards are the uh, 56 minor arcana. And then Chance, can you bring up the most recent one? Because I think it's perfect for uh, everybody. Remember the statue. It's got the staff held up and uh, with some kind of weird shapes on it. Uh, I did a decode. I think I figured out what Loki's staff from the Marvel Avengers uh, when that was the MacGuffin from the from the the time travel that they were doing back in, uh, I think it was Marvel, might have been the End Game when they go back and they rewrite their own uh, grand finale season finale. Guys, I think the staff is actually encoding. Um, is that Norway? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is Norway. Uh, I watched a short documentary on how Norway is the most prolifically absurdly rich country and how they came to wield so much control on the global economic uh, chessboard after the world wars uh fdr i think his first question on the phone about the treaty was what are we going to do about norway and everybody thinks that has to do with antarctica which is likely but it, it doesn't have to be about Antarctica. It can just be about Norway because their success model is mind-blowing how efficient they are at making money off of, off of almost having nothing. It has to do with the forest industry and the, the way that their landscape benefits them and the way they've played the cards that they have. And they have very few people actually live there. The numbers are completely the reverse of anything you would think of in any other economy you've ever heard of. It's such a boondoggle. I think the staff is shaped like the continent, like the, uh, the shape of the Norway uh, proper, what it actually is, looks like on the map. And so can you go back to that picture? Because the, uh, the, the reason it's important is because of the cranes on the skyline. And the crane is the God machine. Uh, whenever the end of the movie or the culminating situation needs to be explained, they just bring some strange contraption down, uh, do some theatrical light flashing, and everybody says, ooh, ah. And then it doesn't even matter if the plot actually resolves itself. It's the ooh and the ah that is where the sleight of hand takes place. But this image, chances from the original um Marvel Avengers uh, movie poster in there. I've like super uh, zoomed in to the skyline and it's covered in these cranes. Uh, so the cranes are a symbol of the theater that brings 
is the God machine that will resolve everything, but it's also how civilizations come and go. It's how they bring up these world fairs and take them back down so quickly. It's all due to the crane. And what is really a trip is that everybody gives credit to Thoth. Thoth gets the credit for the the 42 uh, jade tablets of, of Thoth in the hermetic order. Well, strangely enough, we actually are worshiping the crane, which is the machine that makes the buildings come up and go down, controlled demolition style. So, yeah, I just thought I'd bring some of the uh, significance of the crane because we keep seeing the X and the crane is the God machine. Oh, yeah. And then speak softly and carry a big stick. That is exactly what this country does and has done to put themselves in a position to be uh, hailed by Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe with the staff. That makes me, you're talking about the deus ex machina. And I was, I've been puzzling a little bit lately about how with the LR switch, the play is also prey. Like you're praying. And where does theater originate? It originates with the priest class. So when you're talking about what you're describing, I wonder, for example, the uh, there's a belief amongst, I think it's the, the Hopi tribes or it's a Native American tribe where the, the belief is as long as at least one person prays for the turning of the sun, that is for the sun to be born again and rise higher after the winter solstice where it dies, as long as at least one person prays for it, it will happen. So I wonder if that's the idea behind the plays the tragedias, <laughs> tragedies, the goat spells, the goat being Capricorn, that as long as the people see this, they are praying for it because they're seeing a play and they are cheering for the outcome that they, you know, for the allegory of the, the hero to rise or the savior to succeed in his saving. So I think maybe that's the same thing going on here is like, all of these, all of this playcraft is is a type of prayer initiation, but it may have taken a dark turn where we're we're praying for other things besides just the turning of yeah. the sun. Totally, totally, yes. And uh, so there are some uh, cults like uh, Hakate Artemis. They actually have a, a law that everybody has to be in on it together, and there can't be any stragglers. So when they do votive offerings and bring blood to the uh, to the foot of a of a uh, idol, a stone idol, the uh, blood on the foot of the stone idol, it has to be agreed upon by everybody involved. There can be no uh, derelicts in the votive offerings. Very interesting. Jenny shared some great stuff in our interverse chat. Some uh, more images from the World's Fair. If this is a rabbit hole you guys have been down, then you know why we're talking about it. If it's one you haven't, then I recommend just getting into it. Uh, Howdy Murkowski has done a lot of good work on questioning the world's fair. I'm not saying I agree with all his conclusions or, you know, with the John Levi's of the world. I know nothing about building. So for all I know, maybe you could build these buildings in a year and then take them down. But there are, you know, there's a lot of good reason to think that that's bullshit. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, we don't consider the 1890s as being this highly illuminated time, uh, but there's so much lighting at the world's fairs and there's these 
like orphanariums and there's babies in incubators. There's like an exhibit of babies in incubators. It's all very strange. It's almost, I'm not saying this is what happened, but it is. If, if there was like a, 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 a continent that was decimated and there's no people in it and you, I don't know, cloned a bunch of people or really fast produced a lot of humans who knew nothing about their world or where they came from. And you just kind of threw them into the world. You might give them this type of Disney world attraction to help them get their bearings and understand what the rules are of this place that they're in. Who knows? There's it's, it's all, it's very fishy. Here's the fishery building. <laughs> it's very fishy. Like this is so elaborate and they just tear, they tear this down. Look at this. It's a, uh, it's just outrageous, man. It's hard. The mind boggles. It's hard to comprehend that, you know, what the, the official Wait, version of the story is hard to comprehend. And yeah, yeah, there's a ship here. This is Mac Mani's fountain. Wait, is it Grand cut in half? It's half a ship. Yeah, it's the Argo. Totally. It's a totally half ship. That's boom. That's 100%. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild stuff. So, but it could be, as Zerilas says, high quality imitation like Disneyland could be. We weren't there. It's all it's worth. Everything's worth questioning, though, in life, especially in the mainstream version of events of anything. Always worth questioning. And now I'm going to get us back to our slides. Man, we're just having a great time with this one tonight. Thanks, everyone, for being here. I love you guys. I'm enjoying this. Heck yeah. Where is Heck my, yeah. here we go. Okay. So we are in 1893. They're in the world's fair. Here they are. And uh, <clears throat> this is the point where they make the statement of, okay, whoever we're following who on this trace, assuming it's Rensselaer, they went to 1868. Was that a mistake? So then they went 25 years ahead. That's Loki's question. And this 25 is important because if you combine Resh and Hay, it's 205. Drop the zero as you might do in Gematria, and there's your 25. There's a lot more to the 25, and some of it I'm saving for part two. But it's just suffice to say that this 25 is a very important number for this time of year, the vernal time of year. And we're establishing that it's important because they're specifically saying the number in the episode, the difference between the two settings. Uh, then let's bump forward a slide. They're wading through this throng or multitude or crowd. What do you know? The word for that in Hebrew is atzmi, and it equals 205, a throng, a multitude, a crowd. Uh, here's those shields of the triumph, the arc, arc de triumph. They are a zodiac. I mean, just the fact that it's an arch, arch, arche. It's a word in Greek that means the same thing as the Hebrew resh or ras. Can't make this up. And then we get, uh, we see a crier who's got the, the newspaper and he's saying the Liberty Bell, Liberty Bell Day to debut on the 4th of July. So the Liberty Bell, Bell is a name of the solar deity, of course. <laughs> and it's, so Bell is the name of the sun. This bell, the Liberty Bell, was taken around the nation to various centennial expositions. And 
It's a hugely important artifact to the American mythos. This is one of those artifacts that has the power to convince people that the story of the Revolutionary War, as described, is true. It was supposed to have been uh, rung. The bell was first rung when the Declaration of Independence was signed. So I guess they just had this bell ready to go. It had the inscription on it. Proclaim, proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. It had that on the bell already. And then the first time they ring it is on the day the declaration is signed. Like all this is fishy. <laughs> they made, they already had the bell ready and they say it got cracked, of course, uh, immediately and, or on the way on the circuit going around the country, maybe is where the crack got bigger. I don't know. The crack is its own thing, but this proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof inscribed on the bell is a biblical reference to the book of Leviticus 25 chapter 25. So there's your 25 again. <laughs> and this, uh, what is the book? What does it say in the book of Leviticus? Maybe. I, okay. I don't have the, the direct quote, but it's 25 10. Go look that up. If you want, I did read it earlier today. So it's, Heralding a new dawn or a new age of liberty like springtime does. These characters who now theoretically have free will, liberty will, <laughs> if B, B and W swap, free bell, free will, liberty, free will, bell. You see, it's the same, it's the same word, free will and liberty bell. And that's because the death of the old year or the original he who remains has removed the constraints and now they have free will. They're no longer in debt or to this uh, king, old king. And this Leviticus chapter 25 is actually this verses about liberty are referring to the 50 year cycle of Jubilees practiced by the Hebrews. Jew, bell, hey, Jubilee. <laughs> it's a Jew bell. So this is the Jew bell. <laughs> and even better wow. is the reference wow. to the bell. So I even found the reference to when the bell was announced that it was going to be at the world's fair in Chicago. And that was April of 1893, according to the history of the Liberty bell. So that's springtime. The Hebrew word for vernal or springtime belonging to spring is a 200. The number of the rush. It's like, it's just everywhere, everything pointing at this is the time of year it is. This is what we're at in the cycle over and over. You can't make this up. It's amazing. The Liberty Bell free yeah, will. Nice. Yeah, man, that's great. I love it. Liberty Bell is free will. That is so wild. Um, So one of the things about remember the crossing the line ceremony with the, the two children on the sun card is they're in the shackles together. The the sailors, when they do that ritual, they're wearing the shackles together, much like the mount of this free will liberty bell. Also, uh, Benjamin Franklin is on the $100 bill with this bell, has a great deal to do with the circumcision rites. Um, but there's a funny counterpart, is the Serbian $100 bill has Nikola Tesla on it. So here is a Benjamin Franklin call in the response in a minute is going to be a famous inventor. And he's going to be a, a maybe a foreign inventor because Nikola Tesla was a foreigner and he had to deal with, you know, not being from here when he uh, was right 
rising into his into his story. So we have a Benjamin Franklin call and a Nikola Tesla response uh, that's going to be articulated by Victor Timely. Um, I love that you found the free will is in the Liberty Bell. That's that wasn't even in my notes. I just was reading um, my notes and, and I realized that, it? of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, man. And it's broken. And like, that's kind of, it's so fascinating that it's actually still a question. Is there free will? Come on, man. Come on. People still make books trying to convince you there's no such thing as free will. It's a, it's worth, it's a worthy argument, but uh, I think we win. Uh, I sent you a, a, a graphic because the shields on that arcway has uh, kind of plucked a cord for me. Uh, I have a theory, and the shields are not the exact same, but uh, can you go kind of towards the top there, that arcway? This is the year that when they arrive here, this is the year that they made a new innovation in uh, voting booths. They started to integrate oh, yeah. new voting booths on this year. Well, Edison, it's Edison's first it's patent. Sure. Electric vote recorder or something. That's right. It's That's right. That's right. So vote is eat of, you're consuming, you're partaking of this hero worship. So it is a, a sacrament, a, a communion of sorts. But in the scene on the street, they're living booths there are ticket booths and remember in the last episode there were ticket booths in the background and the ticket booths i gotta say it's not just about the election or the voting or the idea that democracy is a war against the individual it's not just that i'm actually realizing it has to do with the tree crickets there's also tree crickets are kind of encoded seeded into the ticket booths that keep popping up in their in their repeating of their loops so yeah, but the ticket booths, oh, yeah, there's this ticket is booths here. Are are just uh yes, yes, and ticket booths are actually a repackaging of the confessional booth. You used to go into a confessional booth and only you and your minister knew your darkness. Well then when the voting booth came, it was just like the same thing. They were harnessing the confessional booth. And people would honor the privacy of what you're going to vote about. It would, you wouldn't even tell your wife or Eve or whatever. So back then, it was a big deal to have that moment of privacy. And he's got it. Boates, baby. There's Boates. There's the subconscious of the void of your evacuating yourself when you give your votive offering to the government. There is the Boates void that you make when you make the votive offering. And then... And Vodes, Vodes is Adam the, in astrotheology. That's where Adam is at in the Adam and Eve story. Yes. It's, it's also, uh, you're emptying yourself. Like, in one hand, it's beautiful. That's what you do to be an artist. But on the other hand, when you're doing it for the government, you're, there, there's a puppet hand that replaces, <laughs> that goes in that void. <laughs> But I wanted to uh, kind of weave on the shields on the archway. These do not correspond perfectly, but I have a theory that the nine worthies, who are signified by nine shields, nine family crests, I have a strong theory that they are also instilled into the Ivy League schools. And I have a weave I'm going to work on my own 
about the nine Ivy League schools. I have eight right here. I think Brown University was the last one added to the list to make it a full nine. I think they could fit into the Enneagram in fascinating ways as carrying the torch of the nine worthies. And there's a lot more behind those words right there, that the nine worthies might be the nine Ivy League schools because the nine Ivy I, League I, schools. I find on Google there's only eight Ivy, Ivy League schools. is a symbol of Dionysus, and they were established before the Revolutionary War. Okay. Is it, maybe there's a secret ninth school, the Invisible yes, College. Uh, the ninth. Yep, the ninth, you got it, you got it. Yeah, the ninth is actually, I think, Browns There's uh, or Chicago. There were like two wannabes that want to be plugged into the last one. But they, the cutoff mark was the Revolutionary War. So they're t- kind of retrofitting that ninth one totally. Uh, but it's, it's so interesting. You picked up the Liberty Bell, and I'm picking up Ivy League schools. And the dividing line of what is Ivy League and what's not has to do with that. I, uh, the crack in the Liberty Bell. So, yeah, there's probably some strong magic around Ivy League schools in the history of the Revolutionary War. Well, it's interesting. This just came up in a random Google search about Ivy League schools, but the uh, one of the, you know how there's like people also ask with Google and there's those drop downs you can click on that answer a question. So one of the questions was, has anyone got into all eight IVs, Ivy League schools? And it says in 2016, 216, Kelly Hiles achieved an extraordinary feat by being accepted into all eight Ivy League colleges. Now, that word Hiles is interesting because it's a word used by the Gnostic texts. Hyle, H-Y-L-E. Her name is spelled exactly the same way. And it's the primary meaning is the wood. Of the tree of life, the Ivy League, the like weird. That's just weird. That's just weird that the person who got it, she's a she must know a lot, or he, if you got the all eight Ivies accepting you. That's so wild. Okay, and it's in 2016 for our 216. God, what is life? Life is so fun and weird. Okay. So back to where were we, man? We're, we're having such a good time tonight. This is like just a few minutes into the episode. There's so much to talk about. It's a, we're like blessed with riches in this allegory to describe this. I think this is the best way to teach the system of symbolism. This is the best way to do it. It's the most fun way for everybody. We can all follow along. We can all get it. It's so much fun. So I'm grateful for that, that we can. And I, where, what slide number am I on? 34. Okay. So they are looking for breadcrumbs, clues to figure out where their Miss Minutes and Renslayer might be. And Loki catches from this previous uh, guy who's got the newspapers, this little kid doing the crier, town crier thing. Loki picks up one of his newspapers and sees, well, there's Miss Minutes, the cartoon clock. She's a ghost clock haunting the midway. So there she is. She's the Holy Ghost. She's a ghost. I mean, couldn't be much more clear. She's everywhere and nowhere. (laughs) Uh, And then if you look, I'll zoom in on it. I can. Yeah. So here's the World's Fair Hotel being advertised. That is the hotel that was owned by this H.H. Holmes guy. 
the serial killer with potentially a 200 deep body count supposedly. And, uh, he basically, they call this Holmes castle, this world's fair hotel. He, he had an entire murder castle built specifically for serial killing. Allegedly. (laughs) He spent nearly a decade hiring and firing builders and craftsmen to add pieces to his house that included pipes for pumping gas into bedrooms, a room built specifically to suffocate people and a murder basement where he would strip the skin from his victims, allegedly. So I'm over here. I'm just like, this entire story just makes me think of uh, Holocaust stories. The original. (laughs) He probably was killing him with a jerk off machine. I'm thinking he was. I'm thinking he's the original Florida man. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. H.H. Holmes. Look into that. There's actually a a movie about him called Murder Castle, I think. I saw when I was looking into him. He's a new fella to me, but what a story. What a story. So, okay, getting back to my slides. Keep losing my place. Here we go. We got the next shot is that the camera does a pinhole window as it like it fades out. But in a this is a really unorthodox way of doing a scene transition. It would have been maybe more common back in like oldie olden times. Oh, <laughs> the early days of Hollywood. Sure. So maybe that's like a throwback, but it's a window. It's like a hay. I mean, it's not in the shape of a hay, but it forms a little window. That I couldn't help noticing. So the camera makes this pinhole. And then in the next shot, just to establish that it's what I'm saying is true, is they walk through one of these hay-shaped archways fully, walk through it. And it's based on like yeah. uh, Chinese design, Buddhist design. Go ahead. Man, okay. This is amazing that you just set this up. Like, you just lined up all these dominoes for me. Uh, so the new arrangement on the top, on the on the stage, this is the doing group on the top of my Enneagram. The new arrangement actually d- develops a camera that shines across the top of the Enneagram. And I, I kind of got to stand up to explain why. But... Schopenhauer and Goethe were working on camera obscura technology, and they have a couple of books where they're actually developing a new form of understanding how light works. And it was against what Newton had said. Newton had uh, one uh, hypothesis on light, and Goethe was like, no, these guys haven't figured it out. So he and Schopenhauer were working on light and camera obscura technology just like John D. and Edward Kelly. And it comes through in the Faust story, in the workings of Faust. And the process of Faust being uh, traveling around the world was also using new light technology on the stage. So Faust is actually a, a piece of the history of theater. And the light, the camera obscure uh, uh, mech device that they would have been using is actually up here with my Schopenhauer card now. It's shining through the this star card as the window. So it's like a crystal that the light is going through. So 
Here's the lantern in the hermit. Here's the window in the star card. Here is the pinwheel that you were talking about. Like this scene right now is going through a pinwheel. So this is the pinwheel. Here are the two figures, Loki and uh, Mobius walking. This is their backs turned. This is the moon card. And here is the Ferris wheel in the in the background that they're walking towards. So right now we're looking through the pinhole, the light of the maybe August, the fire goes through the lantern, goes through the window, goes through the pinwheel. Here's the two guys with the hats with their backs turned. And here's the Ferris wheel uh, on, on the background. That's pretty profound that the entire camera is looking across the stage. This is literally the stage. The 891 is the do grouping. Chance, they are constantly on my dry erase board. Whatever the 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 writers are doing in the and the campers and designing the stage, they're basically stealing my work and making it for Hollywood. All right. Well, they yeah, they totally did with your work on 216 and tax day and the analemma. I mean, that basically is proven in this episode. It's either some either you discovered something that's already there and, and is known about, or it, we're setting the bar <laughs> for mysticism right now. Either way, it's a fun option. <laughs> okay, so what they were doing back on the other side of this of the midway here, I think it's the west side. They were getting their Cracker Jack concession stand on because Mobius is a seven with a gluttony shadow, so he does his best thinking. <laughs> When he can do some glutting on some sweets, he really needed the Cracker Jacks. And it's funny because he he finally, he like uh, implores Loki, well, eat some. You haven't even tried your Cracker Jacks. And Loki says, it tastes like ash, <laughs> which is like a funny burn. But why would he mention ash? Might it be that the ash tree is correlated to the sun and the world tree <laughs> is the ash tree, which is on the sun card in its alternate symbolic form as the world mountain. Same thing. I think that's why it's ash. <laughs> that's a very specific thing to say. It's a uh, ash rash. <clears throat> and then Mobius is talking about how uh, he works slow and methodically, but nothing gets by him because I see everything. I notice everything. So Mobius sees everything. Another solar reference, of course, because the sun is what lets us see things. And when the sun is out, we can see everything. And perhaps the sun itself also sees everything, as I alluded to earlier. But here's the 216 showing up again as the word ray. Ray. Resh. I-N. No. Resh. Aleph. Yod. Hey. Ray. Equals 216. And it means sight, evidence, and proof. So he sees everything. He's looking for evidence. He's finding clues. Mobius is talking about all of those ideas. So the 216 is very applicable here. Honestly, going through the list of Hebrew words that equal 216, probably nine out of 10 of them apply to this episode, at least in one spot, if not in multiple spots. By the way, sight as a concept is attributed to the letter hey and to the sign Aries. The Hebrew letters that correspond to Aries are hey and rash. Maybe I already said that. Maybe not, but. Resh Hay is Aries to Hebrew uh, system. <laughs> and why Hay is related to sight is probably because of the idea that Hay, Hay carries the idea of vibration, which is the 
God moving upon the face of the waters is the wind vibrating the waters, which is like stirring things up and causing putting the energy into the system that life can build itself out of vibration is the fundamental nature of the fiery power that makes sight possible in the esoteric system. Yeah. But right here, just the fact that we've established it's in April because of the Liberty bell thing. And there's all these two sixteens laid up in this episode. (laughs) So two sixteen is in Aries, which is in April. It's tax day is in Aries symbol uh, season. This is like we were just saying, this is the profound evidence of Gabe's work on the 216 subject is all laid up in the gematria of this episode. It's brilliant. I was so excited to to show you just how right you were about all that stuff. And a long time ago, too. You know. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I'll mention that the they're uh, they're missing the lamp posts uh, and the lamp posts are lit by Leary's. And so, like you were talking about the child, you know, what his job is a, a shouter or a caller. The, oh, yeah, the crier. Sell in the newspaper. Well, the Lear, crier. And yeah, so the Leary is one who lights the lampposts. And here he is talking about how he sees everything. And we've been seeing the Satan X being uh, seated in the background as well. So they're being told to be on the lookout, to be leery of what's coming. And also the rock. Odds in the cones of uh, perception. Uh, they say whatever they really are, we do know that color is one and then depth is the other. And so here they have these, they're eating the popcorn in the shape of rods and cones. Nice call. Whoa. Yeah, they're eating the popcorn out of the cone. And also, corn, this is Cracker Jacks are a type of popcorn gives you your KRN, which is Kronos, the corn and the horn. And it's like the, the shape that they're eating the popcorn out of is like the horn of plenty, the cornucopia shape. Wow. I didn't even think of that, but it's totally there. I just sort of jazzed on past the uh, corn or the cracker jacks, but that's a total thing, man. Although calling it cracker jacks is apparently an anachronism. They weren't called that yet, but they did have molasses coated, uh, popcorn at the world's fair. Just I, maybe the Cracker Jack brand was something to do with, I don't know, baseball or, or something later, really not important. The next thing that the, they see though, is this is very important. Uh, they see these, this diorama as it's called of the Norse Trinity of Balder, Odin and Thor. And this is where Loki Loki is kind of hating on it. <laughs> He's like, you can't reduce an entire culture down to a simple diorama. Well, that's basically commentary on what the world's fair did. It reduced entire cultures down to simple dioramas. The diorama comes from the Greek word dia meaning through and horama meaning a view or sight. So a diorama is to see through or a through view. Back to the idea of sight and uh, Loki is skeptically dioraming this spectacle as he sees through it. (laughs) He sees through the inaccuracies in it. But interestingly, Dio and Rama diorama in the green language is saying the God Ram or Rama, the Ram of God, the Lamb of God, where we are in this episode is 
well-established already, the birth of the Son of God, Ares, the Lamb. So, of course, you would want to use the word diorama, diorama, got to. And Loki starts complaining about, why did they even include Balder? Nobody's ever heard of him. So we should talk about the myth of Balder for a second, because it's the exact same as the Fisher King, pretty much to a T. I already brought up the Fisher King. Of course, it's all all of the dying and resurrecting gods are the same, but Balder, he has a dream of his own death. He's a son of Odin and Frigg, or Freya, and uh, he's like the most beautiful. He's the solar god. Everybody loves Balder. He's totally sun dog. And he, his mother has the same dream that Baldur's going to die. And since dreams are usually prophetic, he gets depressed about it. And so Frigg, his mother, makes every object on earth vow to never hurt Baldur. And every living thing and every object makes the vow except for the mistletoe. And this detail traditionally is explained with the idea that it was too unimportant and non-threatening to bother asking it to make the vow. I think that it has more to do with the... Uh, like the druids and their use of mistletoe. And, you know, you don't cross into mistletoes growing on oaks and stuff. You don't, you don't cross the druids or mess with their rituals. So, you know, you, the mistletoe is really hard to harvest and had a sacred purpose. Maybe that's why it's a death, death pledge. But the point being, well, also mistletoe is actually missile is made into a missile as Loki makes a spear out of the mistletoe. And has the blind god Hod throw it at Balder. Um, some versions it's an arrow, but this happens as, at a celebration type of thing where they're celebrating how Balder is going to live forever because nothing is going to harm him because everything promised not to. And everything that they throw at Balder or shoot at him always misses because everything that it's made out of, the missiles, vowed not to harm him. But then the blind god Hod throws the mistletoe spear at him, just like the Fisher King is wounded by a spear, just like. Jesus is wish, uh, wounded by a spear. Odin is wounded by a spear, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the mistletoe gets him and he dies. Everybody's sad. And it's said that Balder is to await in hell until Ragnarok, until after which he'll emerge and be one of the rulers of the new earth. So the dying and resurrecting, the once and future king, the exact same myth we already mentioned. It's a version of Adonis who goes into the underworld. And Persephone, the myth of how the sun has to go to die in winter, but be reborn in a new cycle. Interestingly, Balder, the sun, is killed by an archer or a spear slinger. And the word for a archer or marksman or slinger in Hebrew is, yeah, it's a 200, the number of Resh in the sun card. It's a Kaf Lamed Ayen 200. The, uh, in the mythology, the motivation behind Loki's trickering of uh, Balder getting killed is a bit ambiguous, but some versions say he killed Balder out of jealousy uh, or out of anger for the way Balder boasts of his own immortality. But either way, (laughs) Loki is uh, responsible for Balder's death, which they don't really mention in this uh, show, but we all know Loki has a sordid past. And by the way, the ball, ball, the ball of Balder is the bell of the Liberty Bell. It's the same phonetic, the the B to the L, and the dir is like a tur, tur, sir. All of those that phonetic is interchangeable to S and T, T, D and T, uh, all mm-hmm. interchange. So Balder is like bell, 
sir or bell tor anyway there's just some fun uh etymology there and you even see this spear nice showing up in there's an illustration of balder here he's got a spear and a shield that's a ophiuchus vibe but uh you know the statue of the republic has a similar thing going on for sure in yeah. the world's fair Nice. Uh, so one thing that uh, uh, the fact that there's three statues kind of has a hail back to remember the council that they all turned out to be machines. There were three of those characters. And that goes back to Hades has three judges, allegedly. They, they all have different names. So there's probably uh, this is just hailing back to the triune ancient ways of judgment. Um but there's also a bit of a hail to the adjustment card that we uh, brought forward in that scene when they were in front of that uh, that council of machines. And that judgment card has scales. Well, the roof, the pattern on this roof is actually scaling. Uh, funny enough. And then, Chance, can you pull up the one I just sent on the telly to you? Because... This is a carving. This is a sculpture or an artistic rendition. And he's even critiquing the art in a fun way. Well, uh, recently, there's a new meteor shower that is taking place in the Sculptorid constellation. So this is the, uh, the Cosmo sculpture. And it signifies a great many things. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, for one, the head of John the Baptist for two, because it's in Aquarius, right by the star card. We are in the star card dominion. And there is a new meteor shower that is renovating the nature of the heavens because the new meteor shower, it's, I, I'm counting it as number 20, the 20th meteor shower. It is a resh. It is taking place in the head, this sculpture head. So the sculptorid meteor shower has been on my radar because it's a, it's a, it's altered the nature of the meteor shower cycles and it's on a sacred table which is an altar and this is just a picture of the TVA handbook next to uh when I did the countdown for new years I was looking at the logo and it, the logo I was like am I seeing TVA in this uh it's like a Kentucky video, I don't know, some some random channel, but I was finding the TVA encoded in the symbol for the uh, for the ball drop for my New Year's celebration in the artist and uh, also renovating history through art, making art uh, shape people's worldview. Uh, that's kind of the new uh, historical rewrite that's coming down the pipe. God, and with the AI generated art, that becomes quite, quite a concern. <laughs> it's a real thing. I feel like the best part is yet to come in this uh, decode. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I love the scene that's coming up. So I'm excited to get there. First, though, Mobius says to Loki as they're looking at the Norse gods after uh, Loki's like, Thor's not even that tall. Mobius says, you know, sometimes I forget you're one of them. You're one of these gods, your mythological character. 
Of course, Mobius forgetting is one of his defining character traits, memory problems, as I have already mentioned at the, earlier in the episode. It's so internally consistent, like the Mem and Mo- Mobius and memory, like they, they make sure and with the in the seven and the uh, on the Enneagram with him and his gluttony. Every damn episode, he's eating some kind of pie or sweet thing. So, last episode, he ate pie twice for the love of Pete. So next, uh, this is great. Next thing that happens is they turn around after looking at the Norse thing and uh, they see that there's a cart of pigs going by. And I'm going to just read from the book set for Sapphires. That's a the Hebrew Gematria book that PK sent to me. If anybody wants that, we can share it again in the Interverse Telegram chat. It's such a helpful resource. You know, you want to go check the receipts on the claims in the book, but it's really good. Oh, before I read this quote, Gabe, get in here. Go for it. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I want to say a message to PK in particular. PK and I have a little side weave around Alipin. Maya Alipin is a researcher who just uh, used a computer to find the absolute center of Plato's Republic by counting every single syllable. And the center mark is at his uh, allegory of the centered line, the divided line. So Alipin is a very uh, supercharged word right now. Uh, PK and I, he, he's, we've been weaving on this on the side channel. And so this Alpine is hitting a chord because I found out that Alipin Sicilian is a chess maneuver. And also, pigs on the seventh, PK, pigs on the seventh is another chess maneuver. So I'm seeing chess language seated in the peripheral for those with eyes. And the word Alipin is like a linchpin in my psyche on, on my seashells on my seashore. So I just wanted to uh, point that out. Uh, yeah, that I'm seeing more of the chess strategy uh for, for certain yeah yeah i just got to say oh and the statuary is like chess pieces right the, the statues are like big old chess pieces so i just wanted to mark that for pk because maya alipin is on our radar i can't go without saying it's pretty exciting well i, I didn't even put it in my slides, but these pigs, yeah, it says Alpine hogs, prize winning Alpine hogs and Alpine refers to mountains or high places. It's, uh, you know, the Alps, for example. And wouldn't you know, one of the words in Hebrew that equals two sixteen, it is spelled Mim Vav Resh Aleph. No, 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 not Resh. Mim Vav. Shoot. I don't know. Looking at it, yeah, Mim Vav. That's not a 216. Sometimes this damn book gets stuff wrong. That's why you got to check your receipts. But it claims, <laughs> it claims that there's a word that means mountain that equals 216. And now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, I think it's spelled wrong. And now I have to double check myself. I've got it. There's this great book uh, or great, <laughs> great website. Do it in Hebrew.com where you can put in Hebrew or English words and get the Hebrew equivalent and vice versa. So that's one of the ways I double check my work. Okay. So it's giving me a different word for mountain. So that's, that's why I didn't include it in the slides. Cause uh, I didn't have, I hadn't double checked it yet, but 
Okay, so never mind. Maybe Mountain is not a 216. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm going to look into that a little more next time. That's not really the important part about these pigs, okay? There is a 200 here, which is the word etsim, which is a ayin sadi mem. And that is a 200 like resh. It refers to substance, essence, wealth, livestock, and the self. So there's different ways that this can show up in the episode. And I'll return to this in part two. But to read from the book Set for Sapphires, which is usually great, but it sometimes gets shit wrong like the word for mountain. <laughs> or maybe I'm just, I need to do a little research to figure out how that works. It says, referring to Psalm 139.15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So this is the human body and the earth identified together the substance is the universal radiant energy, the hay. <laughs> the word uh, etsim is closely related to the word ayin uh, <clears throat> sadi or ets, which is a tree. And it also means might and force, like the word heil used by the Gnostics. Think about zig heil, right? And it, anyway, its primary meaning is wood. So here we have. The human body is likened to the tree of life, whose essence is that life. We have Balder and the other gods made of wood. And Balder, whose essence is sent into the lowest part of the earth. And then Loki has just mentioned Ash, the tree of life or the world tree. And next up is livestock, which curiously is also an occasional meaning of this word that equals 200 and has all these other has all these meanings encoded in it. So basically, this one word of the substance and the essence is like 360 degree panorama. All the things in this 360 degree panorama, right? Cause there's a, there's diorama and panorama. Panorama is the all site. It is like all of it, all of it fits with this one word that is uh, laid up in the rash. So that blows my mind. And maybe even the mountain, <laughs> the Alpine of it does too. We'll have to, I'll have to consider that more closely. And then we have, let's see, get my notes back up. Oh, this appeared. Then we have a close up on the sign where it's advertising Victor Timely's astounding temporal marvels. I appear to have accidentally copied uh, some text over the top of this, not relevant, but it's interesting how Victor Timely's exhibit is listed with all of the Germans. <laughs> you know, I was just talking about the Heil, Sig Heil. And now Timely is with the Germans. The Germans are where all the high tech is at, but also the high culture, the high art, especially in this time, like in philosophy and psychology, majorly so. And uh, interestingly, the word that's Ooh. on here that's the most prominent I word is temporal marvels. And temporal marvels is a 51. And I'll, I'll delve into why the 51 is super important. Uh, we, we touched on it at the very beginning, but go ahead, Gabe. I did not see that. Good <laughs> catch on the German, the brother tongue. There's a, a kind of a brother aspect here to the Germans being our brother tongue. That's pretty fascinating that the brother aspect is also not just in Loki and Mobius, but also we're looking for a brother, right, is the character we're going to find. So there's brothers on brothers. That's pretty good. Yeah, and... 
I brought up the temporal marvels being a 51. That's in septenary. I, always, I just stick with septenary for English words, but that way I'm not just doing a bunch of ciphers to find what fits. Um, but I thought that was fun to give us a segue into talking more about the spelling of Resh, Resh Yad Shin equaling 510. And uh, it comes up really powerfully in the very next scene because they're like, okay, Victor Timely's astounding temporal marvels. That's where we want to go. That's where Renslayer would be. They don't know that Victor Timely is a he who remains variant. So they go into this, I don't know, saloon, whatever you might want to call it, uh, where the, like this pub or bar where there's polka music playing. <laughs> Pole is another bell, by the way. Polka, belka, PB switch. That's not even what's relevant here. What's relevant is that the the band is playing while playing their music while there are orbs of light like suns or stars and their spherical nature is accentuated. Well, guess what? The music of the spheres is the same spelling. If you just reverse <laughs> Resh and instead of Resh Yad Shen, you spell it Shen Yad Resh, Shir, Shire, Shire. <laughs> it's the music of the spheres. It refers to a song, poem, a hymn, singing, or enchantment, or a mantra, as in yoga. But it's specifically suggestive of the correlation between sound of sound and light. And it's the word referring to the music of the spheres, which is mentally controlled vibration. Uh, the it's that power, it's that emanative power again. So mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> we get the music of the spheres. We see music while there's these spheres. And if we, you know, we needed more evidence to be considering the sun card and the star card. Here is a perfect shot that just is a complete tableau of everything involved. The music of the spheres. It's so cool. I love it, Chance. I love it. Yes. And, you know, my uh, my star card on the Thoth deck, she is a dancer. She's Terpsichore, the muse of the dance. So, like, they're really hitting all aspects of uh, the muses and the and the tarot. That's great. Real nice catch. Thank you. I do partially the reason why I do this libation. is just to see your reactions in live in real time. <laughs> You're the best witness. You're a great witness for this. Okay, so in this saloon, you see Renslayers in here. They were right. She's here. Uh, she's telling Miss Minutes to stay in the bag. So she's concealed in the bag. There's that concealment word, the A-D, Aleph Dalat, that is the equivalent to the letter Hey in numerical value. And the same time, our heroes come in and they wish to stay concealed as well from Renslayer. Now, then we have our guy, Victor Timely. Oh, boy. <laughs> This is good because we're finally seeing the matured version of him. And even the idea of maturation, like I didn't put this in the notes or in the uh, slides either, but the idea of being mature, not like old, but uh, and you're unmarried, but you're of the age that you could like fight in the army, you know, so you're young, a young, but mature adult. That word is a word in Hebrew that equals to 16 as well. And uh, let's see, what is the, it's bet, chet, vav. Yeah, 
Bet Chet Vav Resh. That's 216. <laughs> that means, so that's what he is right now. He's of that age. Uh, I'll probably put that in a slide in part two just to really give the visual to it. But here he is about to give his thesis, his dissertation, his lecture, his sermon. That's literally what he's doing right here. And that word in Hebrew that describes that is Dalet Resh Vav Shin. That's 510. So we're in uh we're we're in the ballpark again of wait, is that a five hundred ten? No, that's a two sixteen. Wait. I might be getting that one wrong mathematically. Shoot. Uh we need to look into that one more. I don't think that's five ten, I think that's two sixteen. Let me double check my math. <laughs> this is where it gets tricky. But it is one of those numbers. Dalet Resh. Vav Shin. Typing that in, putting that in the old uh, Shimatranator. <laughs> That's literally the Shimatria. That's yep. the name of the site where I do the, the quick access to the Gematria. Uh Torna, Or Torah calculator is a good one. Yeah, okay. Torna, it is 510. I'm, my bad. That is a 510. I don't know where I was, where I was going off course great. there. It's the. Nice. It is. Yeah. So it's five ten, and he's giving his his thesis. Nice. Okay. While we have the word dervish, essentially dervish, D R V S H, diverse, diversity. <laughs> I want to point out that uh, Gurchev was a dancer. He harnessed the enneagram into dance and choreography. I think that Metropolis, the film had Gurchev's dance moves in specific scenes during a grand unveiling of the of the Deus Ex Mechina. And so uh, his uh, also his uh, technology was harvested from the Sufis, the Sufi mystics, who were uh, called the beekeepers. And so the dervish aspect of the Gurchevian potential here is really profound. I'm starting to see Gurchev as the big eggplant. Gurchev is bald. He's got those silly mustache that looks like the shoulders of an eggplant. I'm starting to see the eggplant is also encoding the gourd chef, the uh, who served up these implements of uh, of this divine dance. So I just wanted to put that while dervish is on the table. The Gurchevian implication of the enneagram, I think, is subtly seated. Uh, but yeah, what else? What else? <laughs> Dylan says that Darvish is a beggar who goes from door to door, kind of like Ebionites. I see that like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, they come to your door, they give you a, a sermon. <laughs> That's a thing. Yeah. Also, notice that. So for he's he's gonna finally give his lecture, his di- dissertation. It's a very hay thing, like the letter hay, because hay. Basically, the most common meaning for it is, behold, check it out. You know, he's about to present. And the stage is darkened, but he carries a tiny lamp like the hermit, representing the light within the darkness or the inner light, the subtle essence of the creative power of God. And this is important because, like, as this episode goes on, the uh, order abkeo and light out of darkness becomes the theme of the episode from this point forward. Absolutely, because it's nighttime now. 
It was day before, but now it's night for the rest of the episode. And his speech, I'm going to, as we go through these slides, just read his speech verbatim. It's not a very long lecture, but he, he starts by saying, Time is everything. It moves through each and every one of us. It shapes our lives, our futures, but perhaps we can shape it. Don't be shocked <laughs> when I tell you that the future of of that time is the future of energy. Why should we toil in the dirt? There's the earth question for coal and petroleum when the energy of the past, present and future flows all around us. So this 510 being reduced to a 6 like the spelling of hay uh as hay aleph is important because Six is the called the first perfect number, and it's symbolic of the universal forces of light, heat, and electromagnetism, which he's about to discuss. And Tifereth is the sixth Kabbalistic sphere of beauty and masculinity, and it's the sphere of the sun. He's also holding this lamp, lantern, very much hermit-like in this point. <laughs> uh, he, he's the one that knows everything, you know, he's the Virgo figure in that sense. There's a Virgo nature about that, but this is my favorite. This may be one of my favorite things about the whole weave is that I found out that Kronos in Greek, Kappa, Rho, Omicron, Nu, Omicron, Sigma equals in Greek gematria 510. <laughs> Kronos is the sun. <laughs> It totally and Wow, is. man. <laughs> and I already, there's already reasons to think that. Awesome. Other reasons to think that before I found out about the Gematria side was that, you know, the probability that Kronos is related to e either the word Karanis, which is from Karan, to point upwards or to emit rays or to shine. By the way, there's one of the meanings of the, one of the, Hebrew words that equals six is to shine. So anyway, the sun, you point upwards to point at it. It emits rays. It shines. That's Karan. <clears throat> That's the K-R-N, the kern, the corn. Or Karen, which is a horn or might or power or king or Karan. All these things kind of come right into the resh because a horn is on your head, on your resh. Right. And whoever has got the power or the king wears the crown on their head. Uh, they've got they're mighty. Right. And they're the ones that you the, the leader unites everybody. And that's another meaning of Karen to not together to unite. And in this presentation, what is he doing? He's demonstrating the, the temporal loom, which is weaving things together, knotting them together, uniting them. In Hebrew, Kranis, Kranis. Kronos in Hebrew would mean the mighty being, Kron S. So lots of other reasons too, but this is, oh, you're going to love this one, dude. All right. Cause here, this is the beginning of him as Kronos. It's the new cycle, right? So he's the springtime version. He's the Aries version. He's the spring chicken. <laughs> well, at the winter solstice, the last time we saw this guy, he was the scapegoat. He was the bad guy. They were pinning all their problems on him. And in the vernal equinox, the spring equinox, he's the victim. And this comes up more later in the episode. We'll talk about this a lot more in part two. 
But take the first three letters of Victor, the first three letters of Timely, his name, Victim. Okay? He's the vic- He's the Holocaust. He's the victim, the burnt offering. And not in this episode, but in episode four, he literally gets sacrificed. <laughs> he literally gets holocausted. He gets burnt to ash. He gets spaghettified. Unbelievable. Can you believe that that was just staring us in the face? Victim, Victor dude, Timely. Dude. Chance, this is great, dude. Okay. It, so then you can take what's left and oh, it becomes. Let me say this. Victim means like victim means sacrificial offering. We got to say that. That's what victim means at the original meaning of the word. Right. So I'm not saying victim like it's used in media or whatever. I'm talking right. about sacrificial offering. Yes, yes. And then it's he's also the Eli Tor, which is like uh, the leader of victims, but he's also the one who elates in victim mentality or spreads it to others. That is really something fascinating. Oh, and Chance, you noticed that he has a speech impediment. Did you notice that his his earlier self, the victim self, has a speech impediment? This is true to Biden, who was a JR, a sun card, uh, or has the JR, and then the uh, Kennedy Jr., also a sun card. He's got a speech thing going on, too. So there's something about drumming up the chair addable cause of having your uh, pouring your heart out and sympathizing for a rhetorician, a con man, who we find out he actually. Uh, isn't is the person we thought he was. So there's a possibility he's even faking the uh, his speech impediment uh, to drum up sympathy, which would be a hunting maneuver for a rhetorician or a, a confidence man. <laughs> yeah, and he's victimizing people as his, in his role as a con man trickster. PK just sent into the vibrant oh, telegram channel a list of Greek words of, with 510 in the gematria and oh boy does it fit perfectly to everything else uh i might get into some of these in the part two which is probably wednesday unless i can't pull it off and then we'll just have a regular vibrant hangout we'll see but yeah this when i realized victor timely was the victim i just about just about shit bricks i was like this is unreal i can't believe this (laughs) it's so clear Because the scapegoat is the goat that they send away. It's Capricorn. The winter solstice is the scapegoat. That's the devil. It's the bad guy. It's the low point of the sun. And the spring equinox is when you sacrifice the ram, the Aries, the lamb, the victim. So it's the two goats, you know? Like, it literally is. And this, this character perfectly captures both of those ideas. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I'm glad to have you with me because to see it and to get your reaction and witness, that makes it so fun and so worth it. Yeah, man. You know, uh, let me stand up real quick. Can you make me big? I want to, I want to show him on the map a little. I'm starting to realize that they're not really just one place on the, on the map. They're actually holding an entire arc. So like, Timely is the individual. He's the death card down here with that shadow of envy uh, when he's in his earlier, when he's got the right now in this scene. But when he's up in his high castle, 
uh, he's the fortune card. He's up here as a perfectionist or a reformer. So, of course, he has a smooth operator persona when he's in his castle. But when he's down here and he's uh, uh, building himself up still, uh, he's very much, uh, he plays into this uh, this devil card. And I'm just going to buzz a little bit about the replacement theory is being inseminated very powerfully because the other individual is Brad. And so Brad was over here getting tortured, uh, being locked away, being uh, uh, put in the Guantanamo Bay situation. And then mean, and so while we uh, are shaming Brad so much, uh, we're, the guy we want, the guy that uh, has all the answers, who's going to be the big uh, savior going forward, the black Hitler, <laughs> is the other individual. And instead of being put down like Brad, this guy's going to be lifted up to the one position. So Brad kind of has like a, a relationship for the two to the four. Timely has a four to the one. So we're literally looking at Brad here. Breaking Brad is the two to the four. And Victor going up to he who remains is the four to the one arc. Uh, so those are kind of two ends of the enantiodromia that will uh, play out over the arc of this character. I love that. Yeah. Catching the enantiodromia, the tendency of things to become their opposite. Such a huge part of of proper storytelling, but it's so hard to pull off in storytelling to make it believable. That's great. And I want to say too how if you remember when we had he who remains in his high tower I would it'd be better if I had a picture of the Kabbalistic tree of life but I'm just going to describe it so in that episode it was all about Yasod the foundation the sphere of foundation and the paths from the uh the left and the right hand pillars of Netzach victory you know Netzach and What's the other one? It's not Hokma. Ned Sack and okay, I do have to pull up the Tree of Life. <laughs> There's so many things to remember perfectly. Tree of Life, and I'll put it up on the screen. That way, I'm not just, I think you might be right. No, it's I think it's Hod, maybe Splendor. Yeah, yeah, it's Hod. So let me make this big. So everyone can see it. Oh, stupid Pinterest. You can't make things big properly. Google search gives you a lot of Pinterest. All right. So this is what I'm talking about. This is great. So in the season finale of season one of Loki, we had this conflict between Sylvie and Loki where she was on the side of Nedsack or victory. He was on the side of the Hod or the it's splendor. But what is the other meaning of Hod? It's the first less the god, the blind god that uh that hits Balder with the spear. But regardless, okay. So this path uh, between victory and splendor to foundation, uh, we didn't talk about so much, but it's actually the sun and the star card again. And we're seeing this exact same dynamic later in this episode. We'll talk about it in part two, and I'll have a I'll describe it better. I should have just saved it, but when I gather my thoughts, I'll describe it better. But this is the same conflict that happens in this episode later on between Sylvie and Loki about whether or not they're going to kill he who remains, who is the yeah. generative principle, the Yasad. You know, are they going to castrate 
uh, Addis, the dot, the son of Kybel, Adam. Are they going to castrate Adam or are they going to let him become the king? Anyway, that's a side weave. We'll save that for next time, but I want to, we're almost to the end of what I have prepared for tonight. It's amazing how much <laughs> effort it can take to, you know, I guess. to do just a few minutes of the episode uh, of coverage of one episode. Cause there's so much there. Yeah, man. I got, I got something on that tree of life. You just showed those uh, to me, those kind of signified the hips of that tree of life. And I think that's just interesting uh, because it we does. keep seeing the archway framing things. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think the hip girdle seems to be a repeating theme uh, over and over mm. that may be uh, signified by what you just showed on the tree of life. Yeah. And there's a lot of horses in this episode, too. And the Greek word for horse is hippos. They even make reference to the Ottoman Hippodrome that was at the World's Fair, which Hippodrome is like a big arena with a circular track that you would use for horse racing and whatnot. But that aside, back into Victor Timely's presentation, his dissertation and lecture, he starts talking about how his temporal loom inverts the temporal decay of the electricity flowing through it and gathers it into five threads of power and or voltage is what he says. Votage, votive, right? Because <laughs> he's the offering, the votive offering. But this word, uh, dakuth, dalet, kof, vav, uh, tav. Yeah, dakuth. That's another 510. And it refers to the thinness or fineness or subtlety of the, uh, the, the creative power, the essence. You know, the subtle emanations the subtle vibration that create the gross the subtle the, the subtle that creates the gross and that's exactly what he's doing here he's uh extracting the subtle energy from the cosmic forces of electromagnetism and making it into like raw time energy so there's that and <laughs> there's also right before this a part where he's like starting a speech and some uh, crotchety <laughs> white supremacist back to your replacement theory. He's like, what would you know about the future boy? So of course they had to put that in there because this is the episode about Resh. So you got to have the race card pulled <laughs> the Ross card. Of course that's important. Uh, and I didn't make a slide for that, but I just remembered that. So he's like, it's gathering it into fine threads of, Oh, go ahead. Uh, little boy was the name of the nuclear bomb. Little boy. Oh, yeah. So you want to talk about triggering. You want to talk, talk about triggering. Well, the word boy is triggering for uh, not just black people, but it should be triggering for Japanese people, too, because we <laughs> dropped a boy. We dropped a little boy on them and blew them the fuck up. So this uh, this trigger it magnifies and even sounds like another pejorative. The word trigger sounds like another terrible word we would say. So it's like triggers inside of triggers. You know what I mean? And I could say that because I'm a ginger. Yeah, but that's the subtle. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's, that's the subtle informing the gross. 
that you're talking about the subtlety and then informing the gross. The same thing with the next comment is the guy he paid to heckle him. And that guy says like just the right words of a naysayer and timely is ready to smash that naysayer because it's a seeded, it's a seeded comment. He anticipated that comment. And that is the subtlety informing the masses. And now the masses are like, Oh, he humiliated the one guy with the good argument single-handedly, and then that wins the crowd over. But we find out that that guy was a plant. So that is the subtlety informing the gross. You really picked it out here, man. So, yeah, I just wanted to say, boy, is a trigger for Japanese people, too. <laughs> yeah. Pikadon. What is- Pikadon means uh, nuclear bomb in Japanese. And that's PKD, Philip K. Dick, Pikadon. Trigger, trigger, trigger. I'm trying to remember what it's called when you plant somebody in the audience that's actually on your side, but looks like, you know, it's a controlled opposition thing. It's definitely a con, a con, a a con man type of move. And politicians have done it from time immemorial. Yeah, man, this plays into the Delphi technique. If you oh, that's uh, you have called. everybody who thinks that they're here for a democratic discussion and it's playing into the Delphi technique. And if you have some plants in there, you can steer things along real, real smooth. Okay. Yeah. There's uh, some oracular stuff in this show all over, really. And I think there's gematria to support the idea of an oracle <laughs> in this episode, too. I'll look for it in, in the part two when we get to it. But this... The other thing I forgot to say about Pants, this hold weaving. on a second. Hold on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the other thing about the weaving of the subtle into the gross of his temporal loom is reminding me of the myth of Arach- Arachne, the weaver, right? And her name contains the Arche, which means head and wisdom and first. It's the same as Resh. It's a Greek version. That's, you know, and if you look at Arke, it's an anagram for Resh. Just take the R out and put it in front of the A, and it becomes Rake. And the C could be an S, Resh, Rash, Arke, Rash. I never realized that, but it's the same word. It's like just a jumbled version of the same damn word. That's amazing. So Arachne the Weaver (laughs) is uh, another version of this whole situation. I love this. I love this. And one more point here. I'm going to get on the slick dissident board one more time. Uh, Because um, remember that uh, Mobius, he has his one attachment is the jet ski manual that is actually uh, analog to the uh, Zen and the motorcycle maintenance repair that tells us if we plug that into that MacGuffin, it tells us he's in denial of his old self. In the in Zen in the motorcycle maintenance repair, the old persona who was zapped out of existence was named Phaedrus. And Phaedrus is the rhetorician. So uh, Mobius is in denial of his number one self. And here on this moment, he's going to see the shadow of that self he is in denial of. 
And that is a rhetorician, uh, somebody up on a stage who's uh, a fast talker. And so in a strange way, Mobius is about to witness his past self that he's in denial of, uh, just through the slick sophrenic lens. So that's very interesting. Uh, I was, uh, this is the first time he's actually acknowledging his, uh, his Phaedrus, his Phaedrus de- de- uh, derivative of himself. Uh, and uh, Mobius doesn't recognize what a fast talker is. It's Loki who tells him, oh, you're a con man. And, and then Mobius is like, what? Oh, I guess, I guess that's a thing. So this is very interesting that Mobius is oblivious to his own shadow, who is a, a rhetorician or a fast talker. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the uh, equivalent equivalent of Kronos with the trickster is pretty cool. You know, that's a that that's more of a part two thing because I'm I'm gonna we're gonna finish up when we get to the end of his presentation. That felt like a good midway point because the whole vibe of the episode shifts after that presentation. <laughs> From we're just having fun and exploring the fair to like, you know, chase scenes and the threat of death and all that. So we'll that's going to be fun when we get break into part two. We've got a lot to cover for part two. I'm a little concerned it's going to be three parter, but we'll see what happens. It's I like the pace, though. This is I think that's what everyone's here for. So anyway, he's talking about he's like, you know, being all theatrical. He's putting on his play right for the turning of the sun to pray. And uh, also preying on this crowd as a con man. And as he's like building it up in suspense and and he's like gathering the electricity flowing through it into time and gathering it into fine threads of, and then there's a pregnant pause and he goes power. And he like, you know, for the first time he raises his voice and he exclaims that he shouts it. This is the, Hey, the creative word. This is the moment of the, Hey, you know, like you yell, Hey, when you want someone's attention, no matter what it is a power word. It makes sense that Hey is on the star card. If star card and Aquarius is about the circulation of power and electricity through the realm. It makes sense perfectly. It's the flow and dispensation of energies symbolized by the aura or the wind or the airflow or the sub subtle mental power that vibrates the waters of chaos to shape the cosmos into material form and being. And just in case we didn't get the point, what I'm describing here, the next thing that happens is he starts talking about a chaos, a chaos of particles. And as he's saying chaos and a chaos of particles, if you watch this show, he is vibrating himself while he says it. He is shaking like he's got Tourette's or something while he's a chaos and he's vibrating. Chaos of particles is transformed into, snaps his fingers, order. And he says, with my device, the wattage Edison uses to light a single bulb can light the whole of Chicago. And this is great, too, because it's it's illustrating the whole light wars, illumination wars between Tesla and Edison. He's just taking the role of Tesla in this allegory. But this part where he's discussing the chaos turning into order, order ab chao, when he's shaking and vibrating himself, this is the imitation of the movement of God upon the primal source waters. The Genesis verse where it says God moved upon the face of the waters. That word in Hebrew really actually means he vibrated the waters, the divine wind, the hay. That's what's moving things, circulating things. It's amazing. 
<laughs> so then we have uh you basically it says so you can light a few bulbs big deal you'll need a lot more than that to light a whole city and when you look into the billions and zillions of light bulbs at the world's fair you do start to wonder how did they power all that <laughs> dylan says order never comes from chaos the broken glass will never put itself back together you know how i read order app ko is sort of like oppo sames the way the yin and the yang are really they're oppo sames so what appears like chaos to us from a different perspective is actually divine order and what what in divine order from some perspectives is actually appears to be chaos that's how i read it i read it as they're you know they uh they're the same thing <laughs> just from different sides that's that's that <laughs> so anyway this is the part where you really know he's the the sun card because he goes he replies to the guy who's uh, kind of heckling again about lighting the whole city and uh he says don't misunderstand me sir there's your rush i do not want to light a city i aim to light to power the entire planet <laughs> he wants the light to power the entire world the light of this world there's the sun <laughs> that's the sun the light of the world the whole world so this show is affirming the secret that chronos is the sun which it 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 verifiably is in the older tradition it's just the modern that is associated it to the planet we call Saturn. And that's fine. I, I'm not take do whatever you want with your cultism, but like in the original system, it is a solar system. It is what it is. It's all there. It's, it's all there. But this, this line that he says here too, is also really, really relevant and much more so as the season goes on in the later episodes. But he's like, so call it a dream. Fine. Sneer and laugh it off as pure science fiction. But if it can be dreamed, it can be achieved. Because all science is fiction. Until it's fact. <laughs> the funny thing about that is fact is not the same as truth. <laughs> but all science is fiction. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and then this is my last slide, Gabe, and <laughs> we'll wrap it up. He says, uh, all science is fiction. And this is the moment of, you know, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? And here's this word that means magic and is equal to resh, 200. It's kof samek mem, QSM. It means magic or divination accomplished through the essence of light or radiant energy. That's exactly what he's doing here. It's also later in the episode where Miss Minutes makes herself big and scares everybody off. You know, that's all part. And he's talking about how he can see the future. He knows the future. What do you know about the future, boy? More than you might think is what he says. So he's doing magic and divination at the same time through the essence of light or radiant energy. And all this lighting and lightning really rolls up the whole God of storms thing that Jehovah's got going on too. You know, we're seeing like the lightning God, the time God, the savior God is all the same guy at different parts of the cycle. Boom. Pretty cool scene, though. <laughs> so, that's all my slides for today. Other than, other than, I wanted to say the uh, back to this. No, that's it. I'm leaving it. Leaving it. I'm good. All right. All right. 
So I want to I want to tie in the fact that he says I want to I want the world. I don't just want the city. I want the world. Well, Ravona is actually what he wants, and this is Ravona's card uh, in a fun way because her name Ravona's is anagram for universe. So when he says I want to light up the world, he's also uh, paralleling his desire for the character of the world card, who is Ravona. Um, and then the uh, can you go back to the part uh, the one with the star card where he's flipping the switch because I want to just be clear for everybody uh, I'm kind of piggybacking some of the slick dissident project on uh, to our project here because this is flipping the switch for me this is what ga- uh, gives me the clue we're going into the leap year. The votive offerings are at a prime uh, premium. They're going at a premium. And so this is where I, when he flips this switch and we're going into electric uh, election season, I'm flipping the switch and I'm putting her in the S dobrado, uh, the back handspring uh, in the votive offering for the leap year is going to be very significant. It turns out February 29th, we're about 10 days away from the day of the offering. This is going to be the 366th day of the year. And it's the extra day. And uh, it's like the opposite of a day out of time. Like other cultures, they remove a day. Well, for us, we add an extra day in. And whether you accept that rhythm or not, it's up to you. That's a votive offering. Uh, And yeah, some of us are working out whole new calendars where we can say, screw you guys and you're uh, your hijack of the timeline. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that the uh, the leap year in me turning that card into the back handspring for the next uh, twenty year cycle of Pluto being in Aquarius. It's official. It's official right there. And then oh, can you bring uh, the last graphic I sent you because uh, that cor- correlates to wrap everything up because. Uh, Rod of God, things falling out of the sky. It turns out on the our cicada weave in Italian, the word for cicadas means it falls on us. So it has like an esoteric mana, but it also has an aspect of like, oh, is Bitcoin going to be like money falling out of the sky? Is the big government tit that we've all been waiting for just going to come down and feed us from oblivion? Uh, or... Also in the headlines, they want people to think that these space stations, these satellites, are going to descend from on high. And so flipping a switch and turning off the electricity has been a looming threat for winter after winter after winter. They talk about it every year. So I grabbed this graphic of the blue orb as it's presented to us with the Brazilians of satellites that are uh, just poised to fall around your ears. And the fact that the word cicada in Italian is, it falls on us. That is so interesting. Cicada is C9, C1, D1. Cicada is 911, CDC, encoded. ISS is a 911. So I just want to highlight how it's all spells. It's all spellcraft. They're just accentuating what is already naturally occurring uh, for the sake of good headlines and the dogs of war, the Dow Jones, D-O-W, Dow Jones, predicting our migrational patterns and our decisions uh, as the Enneagram yields 
behavioral predictability. And that's what they rely on. That's what they rely on. So, yeah, my star card is uh, flipping a big fat bird and dropping a hand grenade in the in the global stage. The Enneagram. What did you just say about the Enneagram predictability? Yes. My theory on the Enneagram is this is the Hellenization of of culture. And as long as we are entertained by the Hellenistic imprint from the Constantine reset, then the consistency of a Hellenized psychology can be uh, uh, harnessed, harbored, uh, fostered, and uh, monopolized on. And that that imprint puts most people into the six category. Back to the, all the six going on in this episode. <laughs> wow, interesting. Yes, and yes. it is a it's a heliocentric culture, and we have all this six relating to the sun that we're seeing just in this reveal of this decode. So it has to do with heliocentrism too. Peak, I'm going to read some of the comments. You guys have been awesome in the chat. I wish there was time that I could respond to all of the brilliant things that you say, but I will just read a couple of the recent ones. PK saying, I lean towards that Kronos or Saturn was the sun at a different time of a different, in quotes, world. Kronos gave warmth. Steiner has an interesting take on it with some receipts. I will give you on that the... You know, I really like the theory of the Earth growing and new luminaries forming at intervals of time when the Earth expands through some kind of electrolysis process. Like energy gets low in in the container and then God has to plug it in, you know, metaphorically or whatever the creator is outside or above beyond the the uh, contained sphere, the dome, the, the firmament, maybe. And maybe uh, the first luminary was Kronos or, you know, the planet we call Saturn. There could like, we don't know, but in terms of things that I will make claims about, it has to fall within the realm of like what's observable in nature. So I wouldn't claim that, but I love to entertain that Mm -hmm. idea on that note though. When you go back to the ancients, nobody called the planets by the names of gods until way later, way later. So when we're talking about the, the planet, called Saturn and associating that with Kronos that never was originally the association, but the solar association or the top God association for sure was, especially when you understand the phonetics of the Karen. And then Dylan says Freemasonry made Abram Saturn, but it's predicted predicated on the presumption that the planet has the highest orbit but you'd need an earth radius to do that, which no one has because the equator is a flat earth measurement. Old world Micmac says man was created from a bolt of lightning hitting an ash tree. Michael H says, I appreciate you guys. Thank you again. Thank you, man. Thank you. Very, very fun. Micmac says helio is the same word as hydro sacred. Yeah. It's the hero, hero worship, helio worship. Whoa. It's the same thing. <laughs> So you guys make, make it good. Leah Redmond says best place to learn about the spells and spelling. I would say to Leah, check out the spirit world books by Dylan Sicosio world is spelled W H I R L E D. If you want to listen instead of read, I've got audio books 
where I recorded the audio for those books. And you can check it out linked in the description of this episode or any other episode. Yeah. And Gabe, what, what's up? Uh, I might need a, a lifeline from the chat. There's a fellow who has research out there about uh, extremely large uh, uh, stone uh, bodies, figures, forms. Particularly, he's found uh, immense elephants that are the size of mountains. And he climbed into one of them with a, a list of 50 anatomical uh, expectations in the skull of an elephant. And he found over seven. Seventy. Uh, he extended his list beyond fifty anatomical markers for a giant elephant skull. I forget the name of his work. It's a single word. His work is really interesting. But one of the things he's garnered. Thank is you. There it is. Seven? There it is. One of the things. Yes. Yes. One I have of the access to that guy on Telegram and one of the groups I'm in. If you want to talk to him, it's amazing chance. He, if you can get your head around what a heart stone is, you learn what a heart stone is, and then just go on a walk. Just go on a walk anywhere. And I challenge you not to find a heart stone once you know what you're looking for. I went in my backyard one day. I found over 100 of them. I, granted, I had a huge pile of stones to choose from. And I made a ring of heart stones. And that is evidence to me that something is taking very good care of us. And we have gone through catastrophes of unthinkable proportions. And because of this, Darwinism can kiss our ass. Catastrophism saves us from this gradualistic, everything's been the same all along, and therefore you came from monkeys fucking uh-uh, Darwin can kiss our ass because these heart stones indicate that we are so fortunate. We're so fortunate to be here and something has been taking care of us. And now the savior thing, I want to talk about the savior thing too. Well, Look wait, at these planets with the huge, oh yeah. Darwin What's can that? kiss our cat's ass. Cat ass trophy. <laughs> he can kiss our, he can kiss our catastrophism, Yes. And another beautiful thing about the Savior is every time you see a, a pockmark on a Mars or a pockmark on the moon, you can assume that that might have been an asteroid that might have had your number. And you should be really grateful that Athena is a defensive goddess. She has that shield to protect us. And so the very likelihood of electric lightning bolts, meteors flying, whatever it's all right there for your eyes to take in. And so uh, essentially what I'm saying is the moon is our savior. It saved our ass for every time there's a pockmark on it. That could have been somebody's house getting taken out or a whole village or whatever, disasters. So the savior thing is actually provable by the markations that our eyes can look at. And every little hole up there is like, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'm glad that one didn't get me. So yeah, the savior thing is legit. It's legit, uh, but it's not. It's not what some people paint it out to be or turn it into an industry out of. So yeah, there's my there's my two cents on catastrophism. I like that the moon is savior because the uh, the crescent moon symbol is also esoterically the ark symbol, which is where humanity is saved in the boat, the ark. PK says the golden age of Kronos was Hesiod's eternal spring. 
That's interesting. Yeah, that's true. And this is Kronos being born in the springtime in this episode. But Gabe, I think I'm there. I think we've got us. I think we've got ourselves to a good point to wrap it up. It's been a wild ride tonight. My ass is ready to be out of this chair, though. <laughs> Thanks, man. What a good time. I really enjoy you being at this battle station instead of the other one. I feel like our flow was really snappy and good tonight so thank you and uh thanks to kyle and of typical new herbs and rand for the super chats and uh, a lot more of you guys have been watching those so if anyone else wants to support our work gabe is available to be compensated at slick dissident dollar sign slick dissident on cash app i've got lots of ways you can support me there's interversemerch.com get something cool to wear adorn your body temple there's typical new herbs with the interverse coupon code wear the best medicine in the realm and from one of my favorite people in the realm kyle denton and his beautiful uh family and employees make awesome stuff there's you could get an aqua cure you know we talked about hydrogen and electrolysis you could get an aqua cure with my coupon code that's described in the show notes uh very Big investment, but pretty amazing piece of technology. Or there's the Spirit World audiobooks. And there's also Clive DeCarl selling good supplements as well. Magnesium, vitamin C, the essentials, the basics. And uh, of course, you can support Interverse on Patreon or Rockfin. And you know, when I get back to making some traditional episodes with a free hour and a, a paid hour, you'll even get the bonus content. But there's tons in the archive. So even if... I haven't made a, a new it was traditional episode for a while. There's so much good paywall content out there that you can access by supporting me, you know, at least going back to 2019. I think I was pretty good by 2019, definitely by 2020. It's pretty good. <laughs> so there's years of stuff. And uh, that's, that's that. It's been a great show. Dylan's right. This has been a great show. <laughs> what these, these days are fun for me, full of research. And then the whole time I'm just excited can't wait to see Gabe's reaction to things like <laughs> the things like the, the victim of Victor time. I think that was my top, <laughs> my top weave, but yeah. Whoa. Slam dunk. PK says y'all crushed it. Thanks, man. Too uh, seriously. This is nice. so, so much of the style of these analysis is because PK put me onto this one Gematria book. And now I look through that lens and uh, there's so much to it. So appreciate that a lot. Yeah, man. I have uh, two little footnotes. Uh, one is I keep reminding everybody, go get a cultist Monday so that Juan has more to do with his life. Uh, some of my work is always in uh, is in his work so far, and uh, he's got a couple more of mine uh, for the upcoming episodes if he gets back on it. So, uh, And also, I was on with Topher. It came out, I think, yesterday over on BioCharisma, and we weaved hard and deep. It was amazing. And then just when Topher thought I was going to let him go, he's like, I can't take anymore. I made him stick around for an extra hour. So the, the gravy <laughs> ladling was, was vast, wide, and, and delicious. So uh, you have yeah, the, share that with everybody. Few have got the stamina that you have for this work, but I've been building up my strength <laughs> by all these Marvel shows with you. All right. Good night, everybody. We love you. Thanks for hanging out. See you for the next one. Big love.